Welcome to Talk That Talk. We have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, education, and more. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also find us on all social media networks at Real Talk That Talk. And now, let's start the show. <laughs> let's get to this first topic, man. Uh, I'm going to start at light, man. Uh, so here we go. What's the need for pet bands getting larger? What is the need for pet bands getting larger? Uh, the way it was presented to me, uh, and it kind of reminded me when we started, uh, when it started happening with us, like Hot Ice started coming to pet band games. Mm -hmm. And then like we started doubling in size, <laughs> like give me a whole dizzy section at a pet band. So what's the need for pet bands getting larger? Let's go ahead and kick it off with Rick. To crank up during during the um, basketball season. That's an easy answer. Like, I remember when, when I was in the pet band in Norfolk State, we used to use pet band as an opportunity to experiment. We wasn't hitting the PYT up and octave until we hit it at pet band. And that became the absolute way to pay, play P PYT from there on out. Like, we hit it one. I remember it was me, Pickles, Anton. We was at a game, and we was getting it. And we like, dog. We're going to take this whole thing up. And we took the whole PYT up, and it was that way from now. When you got there, that was the only way we played it. That's Starling Pep, man. So it's a simple answer. People can't let the marching band go. We got to hit the marching band year-round. You got to hit it for marching season. You got to hit it for basketball season. Then here come parade season. And then here come all-star band. Oh, crank up. <laughs> Ain't no break, man. <laughs> right. It's not. It's not all star band. It's mass band, big. It ain't like no all star band. It ain't. Uh, ain't no, the all stars is in these joints now. Yeah, dog. We got all these goats from back in the day that's hitting it, dog. So yeah, it's yeah. just an opportunity for people to keep the marching band going, and to say that old oh, concert band ain't fun. It's an opportunity not to do that. Like it's, it's, it is what it is. It don't surprise me. Uh, I'm not going to judge nobody. Do whatever you want. Me personally, uh, I had a great went ensemble rehearsal today, and I like doing that. I am glad that I don't have to play um, neck or none of that mess no more for the, the rest of this season. It makes me feel real good. Or cold-hearted snake. I'm good. So, yeah. If <laughs> I mean, I just don't get the enjoyment of playing the same songs over and over again, four years in a row for some of it. And then wanting to do that year round and saying everything else is boring. Um, like, it's just weird. I mean, I was with you till you said the latter. Like it was like, you don't get the, the, you know, the fun and basically playing the same thing over and over. I think it's just like, like, like swamp, right? I will never get tired of doing swamp. Why? I don't know. It's just, within you so i don't i don't know but like but when I, it comes to the huh, go ahead no i was gonna say i don't i don't put swamp in that category though because swamp that's and, a school song it's a school song right that's like but us playing you, both. Heck is the same thing for some schools so for us maya when we was in the band that would have been if we played sale four years in a row we played sale what two or three years in a row mm -hmm. or them hitting that um that um push it mm-hmm at some point, you're like, man, if I got to play Push It one more time. When I was in the band, we played Sweet Love every year. A lot of people love Sweet Love. Yeah, I'm about I to like say, don't hate on Sweet Love, dog. Sweet Love was dope. I like the song, but every time they called it, I'm like, oh, my God, not again. 
or my first, yeah. my last. Now, you know I, I was like that for my first, my last. Now let's 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 be real. Uh, my right. first, my so, last was not sweet. Every what school has their schools on. Uh, Shaka Khan. What 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 song was that? Ain't nobody. Um, oh, we only played it one year because that was another. That was another. Yeah, that was another. Chris deserved Rain. a lot more. It did. Yeah. That that joint was hot. And that was a Chris arrangement, so we couldn't like. I feel up. like I heard that song at least twenty five thousand times. No, nah, you might have heard it that many times the right. year we played it, but we couldn't play it after that first year. Oh, so true. Yeah, that but songs like "Push It," like uh, man, Jesus. I mean, but it's because it's one of them songs. Like I don't give a f. Has become a, a school song for Southern because they played it 17 years in a row, off and on. I know that's well. Let me say that because you know some people gonna try to correct me, off and on. You know, like so that's what I'm talking about. I ain't talking about them school daddies that everybody like Entertainment Tonight. Even though I know the band don't love Entertainment Tonight, but if you don't hit it, the alumni be up there calling and texting and everything else. That's true. It is true. It's true. Um, let's see. What's the need? I mean, I guess the way I look at it is to me, Pet Band was always, well, one, it's something that you aspire to, right? So I know I tell you, Pet Band was it was nothing but section leaders. It was nothing but the top tippity top of the band. So to know that you made Pet Band, know that you technically made it in the eyes of band. And when we go to university band, I mean if I'm not mistaken, pet band is like if we had particular like performances or events to go to, but then also performing at the basketball game. So it's a, a way to get ignorant in the eyes of university band. But also, I guess you could say, I mean, there's no bad part of it being larger, I guess, because to me, it's just an ongoing of marching season. Right. So there's no real off season. So that way, when band camp come, you're not or potentially are not as rusty or hopefully as rusty. It's a way to keep, still keep the skill set and to kill, to kill, uh, to kill, to still um, keep morale up, I guess. So, but I mean, there's another way you can keep the lips in shape. It's called one ensemble. Well, I mean, but all those things. <laughs> but my thing is this, Maya, there is a negative part of it, right? Because, and maybe this is because our our, our schools don't really make it to the tournament as much. But mm-hmm. when you have a like when we were at PV, you remember this, Maya? We used to take up that whole stage with the pet man. We had like 70 people in the pet man. But the problem with that is when you travel, you're only allowed to take 29 people total. 29 people and a director. That is the NCAA guidelines. I trust me, I deal with it every year when you come. So at the end of the day, it sets you up to for a completely different listening environment because when you go to actually compete against other schools if you make it you know i remember i remember it like it was yesterday in 13 when we made when pv made it to the the women made it to the final four and we played uconn <laughs> in the first game Ooh, and, big women. Big women. <laughs> right. yeah they, they beat the brakes off us but at the end of the day we went from having a 70-person pet band to only being able to take 20 because the administration wanted to put all these people that didn't care about the pet man on the plane. You know how that go. Oh. Everybody and their mama get a plane ticket. But the band, we got to cut the band down to 20 people. 
yeah, we got to fit such and such and this person on the plane so we can go. I'm like, oh my God, y'all. And been now game ain't spent now dollars years, but then they on the first class yeah. flight. The- <laughs> you know how it is, Maya. Don't like you said, don't spend one cent to support the band. But as soon as something going on with the school, they get some notoriety, they the first one on the damn plane. And then it was crazy, Maya, because they stuffed the the band all the way in the back of the plane, uh, sitting right beside each other. Oh, and yeah. these these people got seats to themselves, got snacks, everything else. I'm like, man, this is terrible. But yeah, so you can kill your listening environment just by, you know, if if your team happens to make it to the tournament. So okay, I can feel that. I can see that perspective. See, well. I never got to step foot in it, so I didn't have that firsthand experience, but that makes sense. Because they even started taking, If correct me if I'm wrong, y'all, I remember some dancers being at the SWAC tournament. Was, and I was trying to figure out, well, where did we get to go? But I, was, I, but I was really about to bring that up. Like in this pet band scene, why, why are we bringing now the band dance, dance line to these pet bands? Because in most schools, don't they have like Band dance girls for the, I mean, <laughs> basketball girls, oh. basketball girls. Do, do, do they I not be there too? We had that at Norfolk. We had no dance girls during they We had cheerleaders. We had exclusive and we had the cheerleaders. What's exclusive? I don't, that must have been something new because we ain't had that when I was. There. You don't, you don't remember when they started that little dance group that, that came out during the basketball games? No, uh, I think the only Alexis thing I remember. was on it. A couple, uh, a couple of people I can't think about right now. Maybe. And we had cheerleaders. I, I remember the cheerleaders getting waxed up by the woos. Every by the woos, but everybody got waxed up by the woos. So that don't True. count. True. But I mean, because like Southern has the Golden Blues. I think PV has the Pan- Pantherettes, whatever they call Panther them. Dolls. Panther Dolls. So, but most of them be trying to be high, um, Black Fox. So, I mean that that may be true, but regardless of that fact, I mean they're specifically there for the basketball team. So but you know, that's what's always the point the of bringing your dance line? That's always been the issue. Like, if the band is present, then if the foxes are, are part of the band, the, is it right for them to be there? But if they're playing at a basketball game, are, are the Panther Dolls supposed to dance to the band music versus not? Who's supposed to dance to what? Now, what what the answer is, I don't know. Because when I first, like, when I crapped, we was. We did a um, uh, 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 basketball season, I know fully, at least my freshman and sophomore year now, it was kind of hazy what, what I can remember after that. But I don't know. I don't know if that's the same at every other school, but I know that's always been an issue at PB. So I mean, I think, the, I think the whole purpose, Julian, yes. is to provide the HBCU band experience year-round. Like I said, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying for me personally, I would rather do one ensemble, you know, during the the uh, spring. And most schools do, right? Like, that's just a chance for the kids to get together and crank it up one more time. It's just, it can affect everything else. Like, you got euphonium players up there trying to hit them high daddies. Then you asking them to come and play first sweep. You know, there's some challenges there. You know, so I, I I don't know, man, but I think it's just to provide the HBCU band experience year round. People like HBCU band. It's it sells in our community, so 
I think it's more so for the money and the enjoyment than anything else. And I don't know if that's justification for them being bigger, but it's definitely justification for getting butts in the seat. Especially if you're hitting like that PB Texas Southern game, you don't have to sell that. That's going to sell itself because the rivalry alone will sell that. Well, it you remember every year we was hitting the dog. I heard, I heard Texas Southern bringing their band, dog. I, I heard they bring the band. I'm like, Yo, they are not bringing their band. They have not called us and told us they come. But just that whole thought that they might come provided a sense of excitement and hype. So I think that's what it is, man. It's just, the you know, HBCU band culture is, is appealing. So then going off of what you just said, then what is the point of the DJ? <laughs> because, man, I mean, let's be honest. My pep band season, you still don't have, hopefully don't have a hundred song book. So at some point, the band is going to run out of charts. Some of these schools, they probably still got a hundred song book. I don't know. I, I never did that. At PV, we had our strong songs. We kept them polished from marching season. And, you know, and we took them into pep band season. I would write a couple of charts. You would, Hotwood, and we had a book. You know what I'm saying? Depending on what was hot and new at the time. But at some point, you're going to run out of charts. And the second part of that is the DJ builds a, a, a sense of excitement from playing the more up-to-date songs that you don't have in the book. Right. That's what it is, to, in my opinion. Listen, what? We the Blacks, we like it what? Loud, we like it ignorant, we like it hype, whatever. So the band can come and play whatever, but everybody not coming to technically see the band. Oh, let's listen to the studious sounds of the marching storm <laughs> or whatever. Now, nah, people want to get ignorant. People want to get live. Like, basketball season, it's a vibe. So, people are expected for the DJ to turn up in between or to hype up or to 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 nay the, um, the opposing team or what have you. It's just a sense of all and camaraderie and all of a party type situation. It's just basically... Like um, I don't know, just keep it keeping the party going and just amping it up and adding another level to the entertainment. That's all I, I think that the DJ is necessary for. The DJ can hop on the mic and say whatever they want to say. The band director can't get on hop on the mic and say whatever, or whatever the case may be, just provides an extra level of entertainment that the kids can relate to. Yeah. Um let me ask you this question, Rick. Um is that different? at a predominantly white institution versus an HBCU? Like, do you see those same things or are, are those same things happening? I mean, yeah. I mean, but the thing about it that pisses a lot of HBCU band people off, but it's absolutely normal at what we do, is the script. At, at, at our schools, you play when they tell you to play. You don't play, yeah. just crank up because you feel like it. And I feel like a lot of HBCUs, that really pisses them off. Man, we this and that. We play, we play this time and that time. Well, they don't work like that. In in the real world, good people. At a basketball game for us, Julian, we play at the most per game six times. Six, seven times. That's it. And that's including if they throw it to us fast, like during a timeout. Six or seven times per game. And our games are not on the same day like they are at HBCU. So there's chances where we could go to a game and only play two or three times. And the kids get frustrated just like HBCU bands do. But at the end of the day, they also understand there's money involved. 
this is a multi-million dollar operation, man. Like those people, the reason why it's tough for all of us now is because these people pay for those ads. For them to put that Dunkin' Donuts or uh, whatever that is, I know y'all are shipless down there where y'all are. To get that, right. companies, they've paid good money. Shipless is a scud, by the way. Oh my god! <laughs> but um, I agree. <laughs> but uh, yes, sir. Mm, shipless, but yeah, I ain't had a donut in years, but good. <laughs> but um, yeah, they pay for them uh, those ads, man. So. Y'all gonna have to get over it. Money is involved, and they're gonna take the money over your feelings because you ain't get to crank up, back that ass up for the 16 million time. Like, they don't care. I wouldn't care either. Let me get this check, daddy. But I also so, think, I don't, oh, go ahead, buddy. Well, I was gonna say, like, what about pre uh, 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 swag rules? What were basketball? Because I can barely remember. Was it the same? Um, DJ versus band fighting when no. there wasn't no swag rules and people just played and did whatever. Pre swag, I would literally stand beside the DJ at PV, and we would look at each other and I go, "You, you got it," or he'd be like, "Oh, I say we got it, we got it." Like we used to go back and forth. There was no script. We would coordinate with one another. Okay. I don't know what they do now. We had to ass hop, but back when I ran the pep band, like it was a, it was a back and forth thing because I knew. What sounded good in the book. So I wasn't going to be just running songs for the sake of running songs. And the same thing happened when we went to, excuse me, the SWAC tournament. Because you know the SWAC tournament has both bands there. And that turns out into into an all-out battle. I saw somebody say it earlier. But, like, I know some schools, like, I know Southern does this. Southern uses those bands as their, like, they only, those are, like, underclassmen bands, I think. So it's not like the the all stars of the band at PV. We want to sound good, so we took the best we could of who was available. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, so it, it it was not that way before Maya, but that's the way it is now, homie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people don't have to get over. It. I mean, I just remember being in Norfolk. I mean, one that's that's what we did. Like it was Vince, and it was the band, and it was Vince, yeah. and it was the band. It kind of traded. But then again, like like you just said, uh, happened in Southern. At least from what I remember, the pep band was the freshman and sophomore band. Like if you were a junior, from what I was told when I got there, you had to do the pep band if you was if you was a rookie. However, once you got older, you know the sophomores, they kind of had to do it. But then like the upperclassmen, like the juniors and the seniors, they could do it if they wanted to. That's kind of what was was you know communicated to me. I could have I could have gotten the worst or wrong information, but that's what was told to me. So I mean, yeah. yes. And I gotta address something too. So um, I too was a fan of Krispy Kreme before I moved to Texas. You can ask Julie. <laughs> you can no. ask Julie. I was a fan of Krispy Kreme, them little daddies, because when they hot, double deduction. Right, good. But it, hey, get you a hot shipless. You, you it'll change your life. Julian turned me on because I was hating on shipless. But it was I had it. You was. Hot. You was. Man, I'm good. Krispy Kreme good. Get you that, get you that fresh Krispy Kreme out that grease, boy. Mm-hmm. Tell you, ain't nothing butter. That I remember that we used like, to hit the fundraising daddy at Norfolk. So we used to hit them Krispy Kremes all the time. I had a box boy, on that. that. That fresh shipless, man, you get that joint right out that grease, brother. 
It ain't nothing better than that. I'm telling you. That's how you used to flirt back in the day, Maya. You look around. Hey, baby, hey, take this take this box of donut. You go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Give me your phone. Yeah, because cause, cause we used to hit, cause at Norfolk, we used to hit them Krispy Kreme sales. Donut to, sales. Uh, to, uh, uh, to promote, not promote, um, fundraise. Fundraise, so they, yeah. You know, you, get, you, you sell your little box daddies, and then you come up there with your little boxes. And they had, I think it was like, what, six six donuts in a box or something tight, like that? Tight, You got a dozen. Oh, you got it. I I remember they had, no, the uh, 7-Eleven used to have a little six. Oh, yeah. You got the whole dozen box. Yeah. And, man, you go ahead and ask them bad boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. We up here plugging, man. Hey, don't, don't, yeah. No, nah, we can't do that. Exactly. Can we get a Krispy Kreme ad? Hey, hot, them hot Krispy Kreme do hit different. But the fact of the matter is you got to know what time they're hitting them hot daddies. And then you got to be there ready. Because if you ain't there ready, it'd be a line of 33, 4, 5, 6 cars waiting yep. for that red sign to come on. So them hot daddies do hit different. But so the shipless. Don't sleep. That's so all I'm saying. Yeah. talking about nothing, and, though. And Chuck, I can't I can't get with you on that on the Dunkin' Donuts. You, mess. You lost the owner. I don't. I don't know. We supposed to be. We supposed to be frat. I don't. I don't know. Frat don't make bad yeah. decisions like that, brother. I don't yeah, know. That's that true. All right, let's <laughs> let's keep it rolling, man. Oh shoot! I just turned my joint down. Welcome everybody to talk that talk. Where we have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, music education, and more. Go ahead and smash that like button while you are in here. If you're watching this right now, go ahead and smash that like button. You can give us a thumbs down. It's all good. You know what I'm saying? But give us something. All right. Even if you're in the chat, go ahead and smash that like button before you type something else inside there. Also, please make sure you subscribe to the network and turn on notifications. You can also check us out on the podcast at Spotify and on Google. You can find us at Real Talk That Talk. And you can also check out What's so funny? Oh, <laughs> anyway, I just read it. I just read it. Uh, <laughs> and you can also pick up your Talk That Talk merch from our store. I'm going to put the store inside of the chat. I'm going to keep that joint rolling all night. All right, let's go on to the next topic. How does a band director deal with hazing in their band and deal with administration about hazing? How does a band director deal? Oh, shoot, I put deals. Well, no, I, I didn't put deals. There we go. Let me fix it. Boom. All right. <laughs> how, does a, how does a band director deal with hazing in their band and deal with administration about hazing? All right. Uh, I know, Maya, you might not be well-versed on that, babe. So I'm going to go back to Rick. This might be a me and Rick back and forth, Daddy. But go yes, ahead, Rick. Because, uh, uh, the Marching Storm is a non-hazing organization, and I have no first-hand, second-hand, or third-hand experience. Hey, that's Cap! That's Cap! That's Cap! That's Cap! That's Cap! Bye! Bye! Let me get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know how we answer this question. They deal with it how they deal with it. Some people brush it under the rug because it's a tradition, or let me put the quotes, tradition, depending on what band you're in. I think in this day and age, I don't really know many bands that haze in the traditional sense that we're thinking of. Maybe they do, maybe they, I don't know. 
uh, I was never hazed in band. I will say that because I never was. They did a documentary on my band. We were the safe haven. I didn't have to deal with that. You know what we were dealing with? Trying to sound good. Trying to look good. It was a reason why our band was as good as it was. We weren't dealing with that stupidity of having to prove yourself to Pookie in the section who can't blow their nose, but they're going to tell you what you're supposed to do. And you are all state player in high school. Man, get out of here. So I think, when, like, hazing just really bugs me. Because the people that do the most hazing be the trashest people on their horn. They can't get into KKSI TBS because their GPA ain't talking about nothing. They can't play to save their life. So, or five you out, they can't do none of that. They can't do none of those because they don't have the grades. They can't outplay nobody. So they latch on and make the band a fraternity or the trumpet section. Like, it's just weird, man. Like, like, I'll go ahead and tell this story here because I'm sure there's some dizzies on here. The dizzies have a, we got everything in the world. We got a grip. We D5Z. We all that. All that D5Z and all that stuff, y'all, came in 2002. Anybody before 02 that was out of the band of our 02, they don't know what that is. Dog, don't be telling our traditions, dog. Don't be telling our traditions. It ain't tradition. Bro. Well, excuse me. I'm telling the history. The history is that stuff didn't exist before 2002. When I came into the Legion, we ain't had no grip. We ain't had none of that. Only thing we used to hit was the dizzy sign, putting the joint up like that. That was the only thing we did. We ain't hit this. We came up with all this in 02. And we came up with it in a classroom, the, the trumpet room on the third floor. That's what we came up with and was when Julian and them was about to cross the section. Because we was all cool with each other. We all loved each other. We were like, man, we want to we wanna make this something a little more special. So we were like, we're going to change it into something more like a fraternity. And that's exactly what happened. When Julian and them crossed the section, we had the, the dinner daddy at my rookie brother John's house. Uh, Channing hit that scud breakfast for dinner. Julian and them uh, crossed the section. And we sat there and watched movies and drank all night long. I don't drink, so I hit that water scud. I was in there, Maya. Everybody else I was, drunk I wasn't. I wasn't drinking at the time either. So yeah. I just wanted to and we that. just sat there and watched movies. That was hazing in our section. I'm, I'm being so serious, y'all. Like and now I'm sure everybody think that it's always been that way. We've been hit whipping ass in 1972 and all. No, we ain't never whipped no ass to be no dizzy. The expectation was either you gonna be able to play this part or you ain't gonna be no dizzy. You will never cross. Ever. It's some people that ain't never crossed dizzy because they couldn't play, not because they didn't get that ass whipped. So. For me, I think hazing is dumb. I think it's stupid. I think it has absolutely no place in band whatsoever. But different bands deal with it different. Some people act like it doesn't exist. And it's <laughs> it'd be some trash bands that do the most hazing, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, or they address it head on. You know, my up here capping because <laughs> when we got the PV, that was the basis of my job interview. They was drilling me left and right about how to, you know, not have a culture of that. And we did. And they don't now. You know, it is the expectation that that band, you need to be able to play. So, yeah, I don't know how other bands deal with it. I know how I've dealt with it in the bands that I've been a part of. And, uh, yeah, I think you should meet it head on. 
Don't address it in a roundabout way. Be absolute and 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 get that crap out of your band because it does nothing but hurt. So that's it. My feelings are hurt. <laughs> what right. am I capping? I'm not covered about nothing. I'm just speaking. I can only speak to what I know. Mm. You lying. <laughs> yeah. What they was doing in, in the foxes. Beat Nash one one. Ain't nobody talking about no Fox. Ain't nobody with no in the band when some of that Smitty's happened. What section was I in? What section was I responsible for? It don't matter. Nobody said the Foxes. I'm just saying, that's what I paid attention to. I don't know about what what the mother folks was doing. Right. So just randomly people just started disappearing from certain sections for no reason. You had no clue what was going on. No. All right. All right. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so you knew what Hot Ice was doing? You knew what uh, 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 the drum section was doing? You knew what this person was doing at every single time? Every single section? Do I know the specifics of what they were doing? No. But what I do know is Norfolk State was not a hazing situation. The Legion specifically. During my time. Now, I don't know what happened before my time. Right. In the 90s. Right. Them 90s and 80s, when you talk Agreed. to them, they That's got fair. a whole different story than what we... But Hazen was legal back then in the 80s, right? It like was. People, were, you, it people was. were pledging above ground. Like, I wish I could have pledged above ground. That shit like it was fun. It, yeah, you know it looked like it was hella fun. Right, Even though they got they got some horror stories to tell they you. Do. But they, it they, like they do. Because when they got fun. home, they caught their tail with it. But being yeah. out on campus and people see, that was the thing, too. If you pledged above ground back in the day... You couldn't drop because if you drop, everybody on campus know. Man, what number six at? And I'm in the room crying, man. F them dog. Man, I don't care, man. Whatever. I'm gonna live my life. I'm gonna become somebody. Yeah, everybody looking at you on campus like, see, <laughs> we a drop, nigga. So yeah, <laughs> but I mean, real talk, man. Like pre, post Robert Champion, like we have to really start looking at what hazing is, right? Because one person one person can say, because you have a band camp and everybody's wearing white and black, that's a that's a sign of hazing. It is. You know? And 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 I mean by definition like it. it is. By definition it is. You know what I'm saying? But when we start going back to the traditions mm-hmm. and all of those kind of things, I think that that ends up ends up going into blurred lines, right? Because like people will look at it just and, and just say, wearing white and black is not a hazing situation. It's just clothes. But to somebody else, they can feel offended, affected, or any kind of way and and feel like they're being hazed. It's just like you're you're when you talk about something simple as push-ups. Hmm. Well no, but that's not what makes it hazing, right? What makes it hazing is the fact that you have no option other than doing what they tell you to do that's what makes it hazing it's not the fact right but everybody's wearing white and black it's the fact that you have to wear white and black without an option right but that's my point because even if you go to the push-up the push-up thing like if a kid doesn't want to do push-ups and everybody in the band is doing push-ups and the director's like look everybody's doing it the expectation is that you're doing it some kid can feel offended and feel like they're being hazed. Right. So in in that in that regard, you know, 
my question is, or the question could be, how do you, how, how would you deal with that? You know, I, I don't, I don't have an answer specifically for, for situations like that because I've never been in that kind of situation. I knew, you know, I've always told kids with, I've always told my students, I'm not going to ask you to do something I've never done and I'm unwilling to do. So any, any students that I've ever had, if I ask them to run, I'm going to run with them. Now, yeah, I but probably ain't like, hit as many laps as they hit, but I'm going to run with them. I'm going to go run one time, but after that, you got them next four. You know, but I'm but I'm gonna do it with them to show them that you know I'm I'm in the trenches with you. I'm willing to do it. So because of that, you know, I don't want you to feel any different. But the, well, like, like the stereotype too is that this is only HBCUs. Per capita, we have way less issues than a lot of these white schools, from the drinking games and all that stuff. And hey, what to to you know. I mean, it, it's it's uh, well documented that Ohio State has a new band director for a reason. Well, he got there for a reason. They in the band. They got people being called shit stain and everything, and that's their name. Everybody knows them as that. You know, like they haze hey, at a is level. Twa. Twa means Rick Three. No. Yes. No. Yes. I know. I know what it was supposed to mean. No. But go look up that movie Twa. Well, I mean, anyway, that was that, that's where the, the pronunciation came from, but it literally <laughs> me and those movies are terrible. But anyway, um, oh, no, that first one was pretty good though. But anyway, t- yeah, yeah, Tiffany said good. the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But the first one was yeah, good. like the, the Pandora's box. Nah, I'm good. But go ahead. Yeah, that's a myth. But um, yeah, they um, this is not an HBCU issue. This is a band issue. I don't think we said at any point does it affect HBCU bands. It said band on there. So, yeah, no, all these bands have these challenges. And that's why you have to be vigilant in your, you know, weeding that stuff out of your program. You know, one thing that amused me and you, June, uh, that Dr. Zachary did on that show, but I think he was absolutely right, is Hazen ain't just, you know, from a sense of, or, you know, having issues in your band from the sense of people doing things to physically to other people. The verbal side is just as, as bad. And the verbal side can really be the thing that um, can get you in trouble as a band. You know, kid, like stuff festering in your band program. And then next thing you know, out of nowhere, you got, you know, a big split in your program. So, you know, why when we were laughing about how he hit that girl with the, um, yeah, uh, the answer to that is no. Um, yeah, so... I think, it, I, you know, we just got to do our due diligence, man, to weed all this crap out of our programs. I heard everything you said. I'm sorry, but I just, I I was listening to you and I saw what popped up in the chat. Um, <laughs> Big Mike, is that you from P? <laughs> no. It's, uh, if, if any of my mods are in inside of the chat, can we get rid of that? Uh, but anyway, no, I, I, I agree, bro. I, I really do agree. Um, I think one of the biggest issues or one of the biggest thoughts that I have when it comes to hazing is like, or questioning, like, how do you monitor those things? You know, um, and I, and I guess I'm looking from the aspect of someone like me who was just a lone band director, right? Like I didn't have assistance. I didn't have anything like that. So 
I'm, I'm, I was always trying to to stay on guard about making sure that you know every every person was you know where they needed to be doing what they needed to be doing or or not feeling as though they were being treated any differently but you know when you start getting into bigger bigger bands and things like that like how is monitoring that what does that look like right because i'm pretty sure with us being at pv a couple of things that slipped under i know you know and i'm not saying that there there was but i'm just saying with any program so like what is what would be the process for even monitoring something like that? Well, the, but the issue is not that, right? Because what what happens is you allow kids to get away with something small, holding some damn mouthwash. Hold on, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the the last that last comment, and then and then Justin comes in with his comment right under that comment. It just don't fit. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> but go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Go ahead. My bad. Yeah, no, it's like it's not most hazing incidents incidents, y'all, at these schools are not um we lined the kids up and whipped the hell out of them and then sent them home and now they're in our section. That's not what most of it is. Most of it is um stuff like something small. And then that one small thing that they don't think is a, a big thing goes into something else that's small. And then next thing you know, you got a whole series of small things that are still hazing just because you don't want to call them that. That doesn't mean that they aren't that fester into something bigger. So I think it's it's having a system in place in your band program where people feel comfortable coming to you with issues. If they feel like there's going to be retaliation or retribution, they're not going to come to you. They're going to say, you know what? Hey, I'll keep it to myself. And they can deal with it with the next person. No, you have to have an environment where people feel comfortable. They say, I know this is wrong and I'm going to report it because ultimately that's how you find out about hazing. You ain't going to find out about it because you ain't going to no house party. I ain't going to my kickback. I'm going home after work, man. I ain't trying to hang with y'all. So, (laughs) you know, like you can lose your job over that. You ain't even there. You can lose your job. So you have to set an environment where people feel comfortable talking to you. Yeah, I, I that part I definitely agree with. I, I, every every position I've been in, I've always tried to make sure that I had my informants. <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. gotta have your informants who who know you know who can go in and, and you know be in these spaces and be able to report back to you. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I then agree. being firm, right? Being firm, like no ambiguity to uh, ambiguity to it whatsoever. These are the guidelines. This is how this program operates. Most of the time you got these people, like I think it's exceptionally challenging for people that are new to programs, right? Because that band director doesn't have the cachet to be able to say, I've been here longer than you. So that stuff you think is a tradition is not. If I went back to Norfolk State, I got that cachet. I marched in North, my freshman year in Norfolk State was 2000. So all these so-called traditions from 2022 are not traditions if I ain't heard about it before my tenure. Because traditions mean it's everybody did it. You know, like a tradition to me and like, you know, we do certain steps in different fraternities and sororities. Throwing K's is a tradition, especially if you went to PV, because that's where it started. Learn your history if you ain't know. But anyway. But um, but 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 let's look at the idea of tradition, because if you want to use that, everybody pre K. 89. Yeah. 
doesn't know what throwing K's is. And for them, it's not a tradition. True. But the thing about it is all them. Oh, no, that's not true. Right. So even them overheads at PV, all our alumni know that, hey, yeah, we ain't hit them K daddies until the in the late 80s, you know, with um, Washington and Prof Gordon and all of them. Right. But people before 1988, 89, um, they still know what those K daddies are. All them old East Side TBS, they know what those K's are. And some of them old heads be hitting it. Don't act like they don't be out there. I be seeing them out there trying to throw them. Like, but, you know, they know they at least acknowledge that, hey, that came from my chap. So I think, like I say, tradition is something that is widely accepted, excuse me, by the whole. If it's not widely accepted as part, yeah, that, I don't know what that was. But anyway, if it's not <laughs> widely while they accept it by the whole, then it's not a tradition. For me, you know, like some of the things, like remember that conversation we had when old buddy called us about the dizzies? We were like, dog, we don't know nothing about that. <laughs> like, like some of the history. He didn't call you, he called me, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> but you're absolutely right, though. You're right. All right, man. Uh, Let's go ahead and get to the next topic. If you're just tuning in, welcome everybody to Talk That Talk, where we have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, music education, and more. Go ahead and smash that like button since you're inside of here. Listen to us go back and forth about a whole bunch of stuff. Hit that like button, man. And also, please make sure you subscribe to the channel and turn on notifications. Also, follow us on our podcast. We are on a podcast, all right, at Spotify and Google uh, Podcast. And also, if you want to get caught up with your Talk That Talk merch, go stop by our shop. Go ahead and pick up something. You can type in Real okay. Talk and make now. sure you get a discount. Okay. All right. Let's go on to cool. our next topic. How does a shortage, how does the shortage of teachers and male influence affect your job as a band director? Now, mind you, these are these are questions that were given from the audience. So, all right. How does the shortage of teachers and male influence affect your job as a band director? Uh, since you just walked in. Welcome, brother, by the way. Ice cold. It was okay. Anyway, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead and kick us off uh, since you just now, you know, stepping in. Go ahead and bless us with, with your up? ice cold commentary. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Uh, I, I do think it affects uh, it affects the teaching uh, aspect. Period. Like we know for a fact that we already have a shortage of adequate band directors. Period. Uh, and let me say, we have a shortage of adequate band directors, regardless, male or female. So that's first and foremost. Uh, and then with what's going on right now with teacher burnout, with, you know, teachers being frustrated with how many administrators are handling this COVID situation. I mean, it's going to affect the band world overall, period. I mean, and then how in my like I always say, how the infrastructure of a lot of these schools are set up. In my opinion, that can eventually affect the um, the future of music educators as well. 
and students who will, will be interested in, you know, uh, who could potentially be interested in being music majors. So, I mean, I do think it, it affects it overall. And I guess the male influence, I don't, I, I, I don't know about that part because I don't know. I don't know how to answer that male influence part because I don't know. I don't, I don't know, bro. You, you kind of got me stumped on that part because, like, I know there's great female music teachers. What? Yeah, you kind of got me stumped on that because I don't know. Because we kind of like Im implying that all band directors be male for the most part. You know what I'm saying? Is that an implication? Or is that's that not true? an implication, though. Right. That's, that's, that's percentage, true. Percentage wise, it's like <laughs> female band remember, directors. And remember, we had that conversation on the show because I brought it up. Where are the dope ass female band directors? And why don't they get the same attention? But, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, so is it is it that, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but is it a shortage or is it they're just not mentioned? You know what I'm saying? I think it's a shortage, and I think they're not mentioned. I think like one of the best, one of the best band directors I know is a lady named Sue Samuels. She's not black, but she's a female, and she is incredible musician. Right. I think about people like like you always bring up Tamisha, Juliet, um, the um, doctor. Uh, what's your name from um, from Gram Grambling? Doctor Roebuck. Yeah. Roebuck. Yeah, like Miss Sanders. Like Miss Sanders, one of the dopest teachers I ever had. But she don't get the credit she deserves, right? You know, especially in the band community, most people don't even know who Miss Sanders is, which I think is tragic. Right? She is one hell of a Miss Miss Sanders put me in a position to meet Sly Hampton, who so, just died re recently. So, so my my question is this: Are we speaking about the male influence? I'm sorry, the 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 that aspect from the collegiate level, or just from the you know uh, middle school ranks all the way up? Or just overall period. Uh, once again, this this these are these are the viewers' questions. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go general and say all around, not just specifically HBCU. But I think there's just a lack of black male teachers too, right? Like there aren't many of us. We are unicorns, really. You know, when it comes to like. Most black teachers are male teachers are band directors and coaches. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like it's very few of us True. in academia in the school. So for me, I think that the question is asking personally, and Julian and Kwan, you could tell me if I'm wrong, Maya. But my I think the way I look at it is there's already a shortage of us in the school system. Mm -hmm. And now you have so many people walking away in droves from education. That's gonna make people that look like us, Quan, little black boys. Yeah. We ain't gonna see. There's not gonna be any representation for us. You know, I have plenty of good black female teachers. My favorite teacher of all time is a lady named Miss Faust. Miss Faust saved my life, yeah. and I love that lady forever. Math teacher, I hate math, and that lady made me actually appreciate it. So on on Monday for secondary sessions, that's one thing that I look up at. Basically, overall, African American male teachers. So first of all, teachers of minorities, 15% of the overall aspect. And out of that 15%, 2% are African-American males. So, so we are the unicorns. So um, just to get the question uh, answered, I think it's gonna affect with the teacher shortages, with COVID, with these policies, it's, it's overall gonna affect it. And like we just basically discussed with the male influences for 
young black boys and little uh, little black girls is going to affect it overall. This is going to affect it. You know, and and uh, Rick, before I let you go, uh, you know, it just kind of makes me think, right? Like it goes kind of back to the question of of uh, what I asked on Monday. Like, was male teachers ever like a thing? Like when you really think about even just your history of growing up, other than coaches and, and band directors, like core teachers was being a male, was having a male teacher like a thing. Like even if you look in, and, and, and I brought this up on Monday, so I don't mind bringing it up again. Like even if you look in the media in the way that they pose movies, if you think about it, Stand and Deliver and Mr. Holland's Opus was the only two films that they they actually put well, where there was an actual male teacher role and, and Mr. Holland's Opus was was a band director. So then Stand and Deliver is the only one that actually was a male role. All them other roles, you know, all female teachers. So, well, no, I, or I think it's more so male teachers in a positive role because you got movies like, what is that, uh, Higher Learning and all that stuff and that movie with Samuel L. Jackson where he had to, like, Literally, almost murder kids. You know, gang members in the school. Oh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. One eight seven. Yeah, yeah, one eight seven. When he killed himself at the end. Yeah. yeah. So, what about, like, what about Lean on Me? That's why I said Lean on Me. Yeah. Joe Clark. You smoke crack, don't you? No. Nah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> don't you smoke crack? I want a job. But, uh, but I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I guess you're right on those. I can't, I can't deny that. Um, I don't know though. But they're I mean, far from you. I between. thought you were gonna bring up Coach Carter. That one too. But he was a coach. <laughs> I'm talking about outside of coaches and and you know But think about it, y'all. Like let's take a second right now. Think about your whole education. Think about the first time you had a black teacher. I was doing that Quan while you were talking. My first black teacher, I mean black male teacher, was a music teacher in elementary school. So if we take music and coaching out of the equation, right? Which is what I said. My first black teacher that wasn't a coach or a musician was in high school my freshman year, Mr. Milton. He was my science teacher. So for you know all those years of my education, I had never seen a person that looked like me actually deliver education. And most I only had one black teacher before um, before middle school. My kindergarten teacher was black. Everyone after that was not. And I had hail in those years. So we already don't see the representation there. I can only imagine what it's like, you know, now because, you know, I think it's changed a little. But what the question is asking is true, man. Like I read an article yesterday. They said for all the new teachers that went into teaching for the first time this year, they're anticipating, y'all. I couldn't believe this number. I thought they were lying. That half will quit and do something <laughs> else. Oh, you! I'm gonna I'm a be real. It's rough out here in these streets, bro. Yeah, I'm it's rough. Half though, y'all. Yeah, bro, listen to me. I, I didn't say it wasn't a... rough. I, I'm sure you're absolutely right, but half, yeah. bro. Listen, I, I was just having this conversation today uh, with my with the band staff. Like, it's rough, bro. <laughs> like, it's it's a different animal, man. It, it really is, and and you know. Um, I just talked to one of my homegirls that just that just quit like yesterday. I think it was yesterday, two days ago. Um, 
Rick, if you think about some of our students from PV, like a couple of them have said, I'm good. I got some LSs from Tall Beta Sigma uh, that were like, I'm good. Like, so I, I, I'm, I, yeah, I, I think it, it's half. I really think it'll be that way. It's, we're in, we're in interesting times, y'all. But why? Because, because, Maya, the same way it's hard for us, it's the same way that it's hard for these kids. I mean, sure. But I, I mean, I, I feel you. I totally agree with that. But I can, I can assume that the output is much greater than the input. So it's just logically it makes sense to be like, what's the point of me dealing with all this? I'm trying my best for these kids. I'm putting my back against the wall. I'm putting my own money into this shit. All for me still to not have any support. For me to not have the resources, for me to not have the time, for me to not have anything, that that makes perfect sense. And yeah, it's like, okay, well, what about the kids? True enough. But where do you like that? That's a hard, that that's a hard balance. Cause you say, what about the kids? Okay, what about my mental health? Okay, what about the progression and the the, the people of tomorrow? Okay, but if I can't get through to them and I don't even have what I need to be able to do my job, it's me on that side looking in. But my, but my, I think you answered your question with with your with your answer, right? Because that I think that is the answer. Like at the end of the day, I, I taught like I, I want people to understand. I taught public school for seven years. I know it's not the same as it is now because we weren't dealing with COVID back then. But I taught in an inner city school. I taught in the school I went to, so I knew the challenges I was facing when I accepted that job. Being a band director is not easy. Being a teacher is not easy. That comes with the territory. That's why movies like Stand and Deliver exist. That's why Lean on Me exists. There's always been bad school. There's always been challenging kids. I'm not going to say bad kids. There's always been challenging kids. But at the end of the day, somebody has to do it. You're setting up the generation that's coming after you. We already know there's an education disparity in the country. I like looking at stuff, Maya. I'm an optimist. I like looking at the glass half full instead of half empty. Yeah. Are these situations sterling? No. I remember I've had many conversations with Julian and what he was dealing with in some of his previous experiences. And I absolutely sympathize because I'm like, man, that's tough. But on the other hand, I'm like, thank God that they had somebody like Julian that was willing to go above and beyond and even try to reach one or two kids. Yeah, you may not meet, reach 100%. But in that, when we say the situation is bad or whatever, it's not 100% bad. There's no school in America that has 100% of the school that's bad. There's good kids everywhere. And if you can reach that one or two good kids, then you've done your job. Yeah, it's hard. Right? Like I said, I taught I taught middle school for seven years, and I taught high school intermingled in there. I understand the challenge there, but... I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to just give up on something like that just because, you know, I'm frustrated. I was frustrated every day and was able to take that band that nobody said would be be able to be good from being a band that didn't even go to festival to going to festival and getting grade one, getting ones when we went. Like it can be done. I get so tired of us hearing our people say or not just our people, people in general. Oh, I ain't getting what I need. So go get it yourself. Like we used to, I used to spend plenty of money on my band to make sure my band, band had. We want a pristine utopian situation. 
That does not exist. So, so I I, I slightly I, disagree with that last yeah. thing. But go ahead, Quan. I mean, you oh, that's cool. Go ahead. So I think. So I think I don't. I don't think no one wants a utopic situation. Mm-hmm. I think. I think everyone wants a fair situation. Okay. And honestly, and I think some of the, some of the issues. So, like prime example, if you take your school that you taught at, and we we understand that. You know, money rules rules the game overall mm-hmm. for, for all of this. But it's not fair that at the end of the day that you have to come out your pocket to repair instruments or whatnot when another school across town may actually have a budget for it. Like and we know we I mean, we are educators and we know we understand school to where we know what Title One funds is to so forth and so on. But it makes no sense that you have to real talk prove to your administrator and the differences in um you know uh uh texas they're independent school districts and you have some districts that are non-centralized meaning non-centralized mean all the money go to the principal so the principal is the judge jury and execution to all your funds so if he doesn't like you you're not about to get them funds i'll never forget i said in i won't say the school but i said in the interview with the principal and i say so what's the budget and they literally looked at me and says you have the autonomy to raise funds however you see fit because you're not getting them from the school hmm. like things i mean that's normal but, but that's normal right Quan? like that's, but that's, nah, not for all school because it's not it's not normal in all situations but at the end of the day to my initial point it's not fair but but Quan, life ain't fair like i hate to be so cut and dry about it and this is not geared towards you or anybody oh, else. Like, yeah. Right. It, 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 life is not fair. When I got that job at my, the middle school I was teaching at, it's in Portsmouth. You know, like you said, I'll keep the name out of it, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. When I got that job, I got I had the exact same conversation, Quan, that you just mentioned with my, mentioned with my principal. Mr. Brown, there are no funds. You have no money. You are absolutely able to fundraise. So you know what I did, Quan? We sold fruit, candy, t-shirts, everything in the world to be able to do what we needed to do. Donuts, everything. I would drive my truck at five in the morning all the way to Virginia Beach to pick them donuts up and bring them back. Uh, same thing with that for everything. Because that's what we do as band directors. Like, I think people, Quan, and it's not everybody, because, of course, everybody likes to use my words and paint a, a, a broad brush. But I'm not painting a broad brush. I think a lot of people, Quan, like I said before that, y'all both disagreed, expect that they're going to get Hebron High School out of college. Hebron High School is a pristine situation. Those kids are wealthy. They come from wealthy families. They take private lessons, you know, in conjunction with going to school. um, Their band fees are $4,000. So their bands aren't worried about budget. They have million-dollar programs that they put on every – like, that's a pristine situation. So to look at something like that or even a school like Tailview, who is a great band program and what Mr. Hill was able and Carlisa were able to build there turned into something great. It wasn't like that when they stepped the foot in the door. Most you know what I'm saying? Like it takes effort and it takes vision and it takes drive and it takes sacrifices. Like some like that Mr. Adams told me this and he was absolutely right. There's a reason why there's more divorced band directors <laughs> than you know in the field. Because the fact of the matter is they live at the band room. 
And your your significant other will either appreciate that or not, and she'll leave. Like that's just that's the sacrifice, Quan, as band directors that we make. The reason why I would stay up at PV to 11, 12 o'clock at night to make sure that that band had everything they need. Them kids, every time I wouldn't even eat Quan when I was uh, until I knew that every last one of them had eight. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I think that there are so many people that expect one thing because it's not taught in college. They teach you all the pedagogy in college. They don't teach you what the real world looks like. You know, when it comes to the fact that when you graduate college, you ain't getting that program. You gonna get a program and need some. Got to build. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think we need to be more upfront with our students about that. And I made sure I was when I taught the methods class for that. And, you know, and tempering our expectations and understanding that there's the other side of the job that you're going to have to learn how to do. So the one thing that you said that I earnestly agree with was the last thing that you said. It was like the conversations need to be had, like the reality of what's really going on. Because like people and, and, and it's not even just band directors, right? Because like even the 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 information that you looked up that said 50 percent right so like even just core subjects that that conversation needs to be had like mm-hmm. what's really going on inside the schools i think the the thing about it for me um is just the fact that one we are and, and i'm not just talking about a band perspective band director's perspective i'm just talking about an educator perspective i think that we may we as educators now, especially in the secondary session or not sessions sector, feel m- massively undervalued and underappreciated, right? Because like, what's going on right now is like, we know that a lot of a lot of stuff has changed after COVID. Like, so that that's a thing that we are kind of aware of anyway, you know. Uh, and I think somebody put it in the chat like people were kind of on the edge before COVID, but that's neither here nor there. So the, we know that there is a teacher shortage. There's also a substitute shortage. So instead of saying, okay, we understand as from the admin perspective, or maybe not from the admin perspective, whatever, we understand that we're putting you through a lot coming through COVID and expecting expecting a lot from you, dealing with students who are two years behind and expecting X, Y, and Z. So we're going to make sure that we try to compensate you for those things. Instead of having that conversation, the conversation is now like, or the conversation became, all right, well, we don't have, we have teachers leaving. We also have a sub shortage. So let's just find some random paraprofessionals or somebody else who can come into the classroom and we'll pay them to try to be teachers. Instead of, instead of saying, okay, let's respect the teachers that we have and understanding that the work that they're doing, let's compensate them for that work at least. How much money do you think teachers like we know what we deserve to make? Like, I, I think it's different for me, Julie, because I actually when I went back and got that administration cert, uh, certification, I got to see another side of what we do as educators. Like, I think people really think the money is endless. Like a lot of these communities. I don't think that. But well, let, let me. Yeah, I think a lot of these people like a lot of us need to understand. The people paying taxes in your community directly affects the funding of your school. So if you have a low income community where people aren't paying a lot of taxes, that is where a lot of that or some of that income income comes from. 
And that will drastically affect the quality of what happens at the school in whatever particular com- community. Me personally, man, I'm not, uh, I'm sorry, man. Like, I, I feel you. I really do. But that comes off almost as saying we need a pat on the back. Like, you're doing your job. No, like, I, I no. just don't get I don't get I don't get uh, that how easy it is for people to just quit. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to I won't get it. Me personally, I've dealt with a lot in my almost 20 years of teaching. And I can tell you right now, I have never at one point said I don't want to be a teacher anymore. Like, I think it has the, a lot to stuff. do. I think it has a lot to do with mental health because I think a lot of people are massively stressed out. I think there is a lot of people who have either who have families who feel like they're they're giving a lot to their to their to the other people's kids and not to their own family. And I think it it becomes a situation where people are like, you know, what am I willing to sacrifice? But that's not new. People aren't. What I'm saying is whether it's new or whether it's not. What I'm saying is a lot of people have woke have said, I'm going to say I'm not going to accept that. Just because my daddy and my grandpa did it or my grandmother did it doesn't mean I have to do that. I can find another avenue in order to be able to make whatever I'm getting I'm getting paid from education instead of accepting X, Y and Z. So I just I think it's that's just kind of what it is. You know, we you got to realize, man, we're, we're now living in a society uh, where people can visually see how people make money without having to do the extra work. And so people are looking at that and saying, okay, I don't have to accept this. I can make another choice. I can go be an Uber driver and work on my own time and still make money and not deal with the stress and not have to deal with getting cussed out by a kid or not have to deal with not being supported by by admin or, you know, just like so many different things, bro. And I understand your perception is different and that's cool. You know, but no, my perception is not different. We haven't said anything different. What I'm saying is being a teacher is hard. We know that being an engineer is hard. Being anything that we talk about, any profession is hard. Maya and her career is hard. Like that, that doesn't negate the fact that somebody has to do the job with all the stress, with all the things that are happening. We have a generation of kids that is being taught that it's okay to quit something just because it got hard. And that is not okay. Imagine if when I was at PV, you was like, you know what, guys, the administration won't support us. You know, there's not a lot of alumni money coming in. I quit. Well, but I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't I don't think, think it's just the kids, though. Yeah, it's I, not just the kids. Like, it's ahead, people, man. Tell, me, tell me why I'm wrong. It's people who've been in this thing for 12, 13 years, and it's like, this is the worst I've ever seen, and I'm not going to accept this. Like, I don't think it's just a, a, a it's a kids coming out of, you know, school and, and getting into education and saying this. It's it's people who have, have been like I I know I know somebody who's been in the game for 20 years and they're like, nah, bro, like this is massively different than what I've ever seen. But also but also from that. And, and I could say this emphatically in where I teach a lot of these kids are given the option to quit as well and what i mean by that is true when it comes to like grading prime example a kid can literally sit in my class for an entire week i give them study guides whatever the case may be they fail the test because they didn't want to take i've had kids that was like mr mitchell i'm not taking it 
All right, cool. I've so, had it too. So when it comes down to it and that final report card, that parent could be like, nah, they got to be retested. And they literally, according to the, the grading policy, I have to retest that kid, even though he sat in the class and didn't want to do shit for the entire year. And then a principal. Even if you document yeah, but here's, here's the part about it though, Quan, right? Like I understand because Julia and I've had that conversation many times. Mm-hmm. How many of your friends in your education all, how many of y'all went to the school board and addressed those issues that you have with the policy on grading? Like that's my point, bro. Like it's easy for people to sit back and throw stones and say how much they hate something. But the, like nothing is given to anybody. Black people didn't get their rights because they sat at home and and whites pe- white people said, you know what, we treat black people terrible. Let's just give them what they what they deserve. That didn't happen. It takes advocacy. It takes work. It takes right. effort. It takes people sacrificing, going home and watching Jeopardy and being with the family and saying, I'm gonna spend this first hour after work to go downtown and pick it or go to these school board meetings and address some of the issues that I have. It's easy to throw stones and do nothing about, or um, throw words and do nothing about it. We on this show, we're trying to advocate for education. But like I always say, it always goes to negative. It never goes to, um, okay, this is how we fix this situation. It's, well, people are tired, people are this. We know that already. How are we going to fix the situation so that our kids don't get put into a situation where they're dumb and can't compete? Because ultimately, we're talking about our people. What are we doing in addition to identifying the problems over and over and over again and say, OK, these the question to me say something like, how do we fix the lack of these people in school? Like that, I'm tired of just talking about how bad education is. Education is a great profession. You get yeah. to affect the lives of people in a positive way, even when it's hard, even when you feel disrespected, even when you feel like there's your mental health is challenged. I deal with that on a regular basis. But at the end of the day, my passion is seeing the look on the kid's face when they figure something out or seeing, you know, that spark of innovation or whatever that may be, man. Like, I'm just me personally, Quan, I'm never going to look at the glasses half empty, bro. I'm just not. You know, we can come up with every strategy or every conversation about how bad it is. I'm going to always look for, okay, so let's fix it. How we fix it. But I don't, I I guess last point for me is I don't think we're, I don't, for me, let me speak for me. I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm looking at it from a half empty perspective, but I'm just merely stating the things that I know that I endeavor through on a daily basis right yes that's you know what i'm saying that i know other band directors that they go through like mm-hmm. we say lack of budget lack of instruments but also like not being ugly i've been in the charter school district public i've been in private and i and i see the grave difference you know within within it all and that the unfortunate thing is a lot of those administrators and the, the revolving door for that as well is the issue itself and then my last point some of these school board members they haven't been in education either that we vote in so and i and 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 let me let me also say this uh election it's a real problem yeah it's it's a real problem when six superintendents quit like just get up and walk out yeah in the df in the dfw area here six superintendents quit that's one school district brother 
I'm just saying I'm I'm using that as an example, man. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just saying that it's an issue if six superintendents just get up and, and walk out, bro. Like, I mean, regardless of is, if it's just one district, that means that it's probably an issue. And it, oh, and it are there any? Let me and ask. It wasn't. Hello. Let me. Let me. Let me. Let me. Go ahead, go ahead. It wasn't sorry. just in one district. It was just in the DFW area. Mm-hmm. So, because I think it was. Well, I can't. I don't remember all the districts. I know one of the districts was Dallas ISD, but then it was around the rest of the DFW area. But go ahead. Are they walking out in Frisco? Are they walking out in Hebron? Are they walking out in these other places? We always go to the one, the worst situation. Not all the bad, the great situations that are in the Dallas area or the Houston area, you know, the great program. They ain't walking out at, um, you know, some of these bigger schools, systems and stuff like that. You know, I, I'm not I don't want this to just be a, a issue where we just identify issues all the time. There's a lot of great things happening. Yes, there is a shortage of black teachers. There has always been oh, black male teachers. There's always been a shortage of black male teachers. That's not specific to COVID or anything else, which is what the question uh, was. But to always assume that the worst in something, man, that, that, like there's always something that can get better. When I got to Waters, I don't care whatever. So I got to, when I got to Waters, we had 45 people in the band program total. When I left Waters, we had 250 people in the band program. That school's just as poor as any school in America. Those kids face the same challenges that kids face all over America. I don't know what they're dealing with now because I haven't been there in a long time, but it can be done. You have to have faith and vision in these kids. They will do it if they believe in the visionary that's standing in front of them. And I think Quan is a prime example of that. What he's doing with his band program wouldn't happen if he went home and said, woe was me. He made a decision, I'm going to do what I need to do to make my band better. He did the popcorn fundraiser. He did another fundraiser. He's on national TV. You know, that's what a good band director is. Not somebody that sits at home and say, you know, well, oh, it's just, oh, man, I can't believe we got to deal with this. I quit. I wish we had more Quans out there. The, the, the band landscape and community would be a better place. Oh, Only emotionalized. Uh, no, man, but it's the truth, bro. Like, it, the band, the band landscape. Yes, there's band programs dying all across the country. There's also band bad band directors at a lot of programs that drive these programs into the ground, playing end of the road as loud as humanly possible at graduation with no quality whatsoever, and posting the video online. I still can't find that video, dog. I've been yeah. trying to find it for the, for the longest, bro. <laughs> Like, like, uh, if I find it, I'm gonna post it on. I gotta post it, but if, but yeah, go ahead for graduation, not playing Crown Imperial or any of these songs that are synonymous. Graduation, end of the road, full volume, nasty as hell, no phrasing, no nothing. Like, education is hard, a lot of professions are hard. They, if they weren't right, if they weren't hard, everybody would do it, and it takes great people with vision and drive to be able to do it. That's the end. That's all I got. Our kids deserve better. All right. Well, let's keep it moving. If you're just tuning in, welcome everybody to Talk That Talk, where we have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, music education, and more. Please make sure you go ahead and smash that like button and also subscribe to the channel. 
and turn on notifications. Also, uh, this will be our last topic, and I'm going to put the link in the chat so that you can come in and, and call in with us. Also, please make sure you check us out on Spotify and Google Podcast. And also, make sure you get your Talk That Talk merch. Use the code REALTALK to get your discount. All right. Last one for the night. Remember, these are these are all uh, viewers' choice. Also, if you ever want to leave a, a uh, suggest a topic, which is all always cool, uh, if you want to suggest a topic, you can suggest a topic. Uh, send us an email uh, at realtalkthattalk at gmail, or you can find us on Instagram, or you can leave it on our Facebook page at Real Talk That Talk. All right, here we go. So this is what was sent to me. Parents are the problem. As a retired teacher, I'm sick of people who know nothing about public schools or have not been in classroom recently deciding how to fix our education system. The teachers are not the problem. Parents are the problem. They are not teaching their children manners, respect, or even a general knowledge of how to get along with others. The children come to school in shoes that cost more than the teacher's entire outfit but have no pencil or paper. Who provides them? The teachers often provide them out of their own pockets. It's pretty lengthy, so I'm not going to read that whole thing. Uh, but I will post it on the Instagram page as well as the Facebook page. All right. But the topic on the floor, last topic is, are parents the real problem? Are parents the real problem? Uh, Quan. Oh, did I go with you last? Because you were looking at me funny. You did. My bad. Sorry. Sorry. Who I want to put that picture up back up there. I wanted to finish reading it. <laughs> no, I said I'm gonna post it. Oh, I wanted some context in there. Like <laughs> I read, I read more than half the daggone page. You gotta be a fan. Well, I'm the problem. Okay. Well, yeah, right now. Maya, you are the problem. Just, just like we're trying Watch to figure out. Talking to you know what? Because I can't process right. it and I don't want to go back to be factual on this public. All right, I'm gonna send it. I'm gonna send it to you. Rick, go ahead and answer it while I send this to this girl. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Uh I think I think parents are the problem and teachers are the problem. I think it's a, a, a equal divide. I think we want our kids to not have issues, not have dealt with life experiences that they've dealt with. I think that a lot of teachers now are unrealistic when it comes to the challenges that our students face. I think it's easier to blame the family as opposed to saying, you know, all the other factors. So we don't want, you know, it's it's funny because we get mad when you watch politics and stuff like that. And people that are from the other side of whatever you agree with. They espouse their views and you tell them how they're the worst person ever because they don't believe in what you believe in. But then you you want them to believe in what you believe in and not think, you know, and not know all the factors that go into that. You know, poverty is not just because the parents made a decision, a decision to be poor. There are a lot of factors that go into that. Are there young parents? Yes. Do parents want to be their kids friends? Yes. I used to say the same thing. When I was in that position, but at the end of the day, the next thing that came out of my mouth is regardless of all of that, how can I make my band better? How can I make my students learning experience better? Yeah, the, the issues are going to be what they are. There are a lot of parents who are disinterested because, you know, maybe they had a bad experience when they were in school 
or they don't feel like they are adequate enough to support their school education. You know, like there's a lot of factors that go into that. But I think that at the end of the day, the parent can be the problem all they want. Guess what? Lil John is showing up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for his education. Are you going to try your best to provide it? And is he going to accept what you're trying to provide? And are you going to go above and beyond as a teacher to provide a, an excellent learning experience? I'll tell this story again because I think it's relevant. My last year teaching at the middle school, I um, had a student. His name was James. And James was a big time drug dealer in the school. James had been left back a couple of years. He was 15 in middle school. So I tried to, you know, help this kid get out of school and I took him under my wing. And one day I came to school and James was out in the hallway showing off a big old wad of money. And so I called James into my office. I'm like, man, I'm from this neighborhood. I know exactly, you know, what you're dealing with. But you don't walk around doing that, man, because somebody my age will bust you upside your head and take your money. You know, so it turned into a conversation of, hey, man, what do you want to do with your life? You know, and at the end of the day, we talked and he was like, Mr. Brown, to be honest, man, I make more money than you do. So while I understand understand what you're talking about, at the end of the day, I got a family to support. As a 15-year-old kid, he had to support his family. Because his mother was a prostitute and was on those drugs. And as a 15-year-old, his little brother, who eventually got expelled from the school because he was so damn bad. But (laughs) this 15-year-old kid was the man of a household. Our kids don't get a chance for the most in a lot of situations to be kids. When I was 15-year-old, I I don't even remember what I was doing. I was learning how to play trumpet. That was my life and wrestling. I was a wrestler. That was it. I wasn't worried about slinging no dope and supporting no family. But that's what our children get. So at the end of the day, yes, a lot of parents have problems. But these are the hands that we dealt, y'all, depending on what school. You didn't have to accept that job in the inner city. You accepted it for a reason. Either you thought it was a last resort or it's where you wanted to be. You didn't have to accept that job. You can continue to sit at home instead of quitting on the kids and wait until that job that you think is perfect comes along. But at the end of the day, those bad kids and these terrible parents, all their kids deserve a quality education just like everybody else. It's a lot of geniuses that come from the hood. I get tired of us writing our kids off because they aren't perfect or their parents aren't perfect. We have a responsibility to our community, and that's to to invest in everybody. Not just the kids that listen to us on a regular basis and make us feel good about ourselves. So while I appreciate that person for writing the article and blaming every parent in America about why they can't do their job, I would rather look at it from a standpoint of, yes, there are situations that we all um, face as educators, but those kids that have these parents that you disagree with deserve a quality education as well. And at the end of the day, you, I, you have to come to terms with the fact that you're not going to be able to reach every kid. Continue to reach out to the parents, contri- continue to try to um, get them involved. And if they don't, cool. But at least you know you tried. And you tried to reach kids because that's what it's about. It's not about you. So I'm, I'm done. Maya, did you get the email? Nope. Check the, the Talk That Talk email, girl, because I sent it to you. I got 16 tabs open, just like I got 16 tabs open in my brain. 
Well, you don't. Oh, Lord. Figure out what's going on up there. That's well, skull she... of yours. But, <laughs> well, uh, why she get that eye go for you, bro? You need, I you mean, need... no, it's fine. Well, go ahead. Close some of them tab daddies. <laughs> I wish I could. But I mean, number one, how how am I supposed to follow up with that? Because the points were pointing, okay? Um, I think you made multiple valid uh, points and reasonings. But I mean, for the, the sake of the question itself, are the parents the real problem? I don't want to go as far to say the real problem because obviously there are multiple factors. But I mean, yes, it, it, to be that young or to be at any age and not have any vital support or to have someone possibly deterring you away from what you feel is important to you, whether it's a hobby, whether it's the arts or whatever, to not have any support or to have a deterrent, that's absolutely something that's hard to deal with. So to be that, I want to say malleable or gullible or be able to be that easily influenced when you're that young and have so many other things on your plate, absolutely. I think that parents or, or, or guardians or whomever is at home plays a big part in whether or not the child has the capacity or the ability to be able to be focused, to be able to set forth in a school day after day in and day out, to be able to deal with everything that comes along with life as in addition to being in the classroom and doing what needs to be done. So again, the only problem, no, a big problem and a big factor, yes, but there are also multiple factors before the sake of the question. Yeah. I think a lot of my views though, Maya, before you go, Quan, I'm sorry, bro. Uh, I think a lot of my views come from the fact that I had those shitty teachers growing up. My fifth grade, the reason why I feel the way I feel is because I've experienced it firsthand. My fifth grade teacher was the worst. So you have some like, so you have some like, and it's not trying to be funny. So you have some like real PTSD kind of trauma. I don't know know if it's PTSD, but it definitely shaped my, my calculus when it came to what it means to be a, a quality, effective teacher, right? Like my fifth grade teacher was the worst teacher I've ever had. Her name was Miss Pittman, racist white lady that um, she would call my house because she knew I would get a beating for anything. Like what? my parents, my parents didn't play that. So like she would purposely call my house for anything, and she t- and she used to tell me as a fifth grader that I would be dead before I was twenty one. She actually told me that. That ain't just something you see on TV. This lady looked me in my eyes as a fifth grader and told me that. And now I am way past her and what she was able to do. And it's just because of the grace of God and who? My parents. Yeah. I had a strong support system. Yes, my parents wasn't up at the school participating in everything. Why? Because my parents had to work. Because my parents had a family to support. So my parents weren't able to make every PTA and band parent meeting. But at the end of the day, I thank God every day for the family that I had, because at the end of the day, that family got me now to where I'm about to finish my doctorate degree. So F you, Miss Pittman, and all these other shitty teachers out here who continuously put these kids down because they're not perfect. F all y'all, because at the end of the day, there's going to be a quality teacher that like Miss Faust, I was telling y'all about, that can see the good in these kids. And that, and I think we need more of that instead of just quitting on the kids and writing them off and blaming it on their parents. That's all I'm saying. You should have had the hood. The hood home is me, uh, Miss White Lady on the corner. Hey, man. Well, see, and that, and she taught in the hood, Maya. That's the crazy part. 
That's exactly, and uh, you know what? I feel like that's low key, not necessarily like a fetish, but that was on purpose to be able to instill and place that negativity. That wasn't done. She knew, she knew what the hell was that, uh, what she was doing. Like I said, you should have the hood homies catch her on the corner on the block. But see, Maya, I come from a generate a different generation, right? Because like I'm almost forty, so when I was in fifth grade, I come from a generation where the parents believe the teacher. Now the kid, the, yeah. the parents now yeah. believe the kids. If the kids say such and such don't like me, a lot of those parents that probably have a lot of the same trauma that I have from having shitty teachers over these years, Maya. Go in and they have that same experience. Well, damn, my teacher ain't like me either. So my baby ain't lying. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't look at, at, like I said at the beginning of this soliloquy, all factors. We only look at the immediate, what affects me. Not what affected the family before, the family now, and what's going to affect the family in the future. So at some point, the kids are going to have to break that curse themselves. It's not going to come from us as educators. It's going to come from them making the decision to use that information that we give them. So, yeah, look, we got to look at it from all facets and not just, hey, this kid's terrible. But that's you know? a but that's an interesting thing, right, Rick? Because I'm going to be honest. I, I don't think I, I've known you for this long. I don't think I've ever heard that story. And I, I find it interesting because, one, it gives me a, a better perspective about mm-hmm. you and your, and, and your approach and why you approach it that way. But it also makes me it also makes me look at a lot of things slightly different, right? Because like, and I don't, and, and, and I'm not saying this in a dis- dismissive way, right? But everybody's situation isn't your situation. So I think that what happens is people who go into education who didn't have those experiences tend to want to educate from the experiences that they had. Right. And when it's not aligned with that, then they feel like something is lacking or missing or there should be some, you know, whatever to to help them along to to get it back to what they were used to. But Whereas that's the issue, though, about, right? It's not about them. We always make it about us. It, education well, no, I, is not about this, us. It's about this, those kids. Well, right. But I don't that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's I don't think it's about they, they're looking at it from the standpoint of them personally. I'm thinking that they're looking at it from the standpoint of the way that they received education should be the same way that these students receive education. And if they don't, then it, then it it is disrupting their the others, the students education. So case in point, you have a classroom full of, you know, Tom Dixon, Tom, Dick and Harry's and James. Right. But then you have little Ray Ray who come in there. And, and you know, little Ray Ray mama ain't at, at the crib and he got to take care of himself. And all of the things in which you have said that little Ray Ray may be a good little kid. He just needs to be, you know, talked to or, 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 or um, respected in the right way. But because the teacher is looking at it, well, I got Tom, Dick, Harry and Jane in here and they're getting the education and receiving the education in the way that I'm, I know education should be. Lil Ray Ray, I don't, I mean, his situation is sad, but unfortunately he is not receiving the education the way I think it should be. So I'm going to look at the parent and say the parent is the issue for Lil Ray Ray's problem because these other kids got it together. I'm just saying, I'm not saying that 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 is what's happening, but it could be the mindset from which that teacher, that that, uh, particular teacher could be coming from. And, and, And just to interject real quick, Julie, 
And this is my opinion. If that teacher sees it from that perspective without having a form of contrition or empathy towards that kid, that's an ineffective teacher. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I don't disagree with it. I don't right. disagree. But what I'm saying is there because because hearing Rick's story puts a lot of different things in perspective. And it makes me realize that teachers are coming from a lot of different places and a lot of different settings and, and situations. Right. Because like there could be teachers and, and, and I'll use them as an example. There could be teachers or band directors or whatever who are Hebron graduates but they may be teaching in the hood. So their perspective of what a student looks like may be different. A kid, a teacher, a teacher who, who graduated from Hebron and went to UNT, but then they end up teaching at, at, I don't know, I don't want, I don't know, some inner city school in Houston or Dallas. Their perspective of what, what a student looks like is different than a kid who came up and booked a T and then went to, daggone, I don't know, Jackson State, and then ended up teaching in the hood. They're, they're, they're two totally different perspectives of, of what education and students look like. And so they may approach it differently. So well, well, I don't know. Well, I mean, well, overall, you're, you're going to approach it according to your your syllogism and your experience of life. I, I, I think that's true. But where we fall short is when you're so closed-minded to think that's the only way. Like what's funny is like we always say there's more than one way to skin a cat. Right. We use that as a, a, a metaphor. But what's funny is when another person skin it the other way, we criticize that person for the way they skin it, though. You know what I'm saying? So it's like what Rick's saying overall from what I've heard him say tonight is due to my experiences is the reason why I go this hard in the paint, because there's going to be another kid who unfortunately is going to meet another miss, I think I named Pittman, that could potentially destroy this kid's life by planting these seeds of, of uh, insecurity, you know, and so forth and so on, that is going to produce the fruit that is of a, of a child that's, that possibly would all, that was already broken to a broken person. Because we, we've taken education classes and PSJ say to themselves, wherever you receive trauma, that's where you stop growing emotionally at that age. So that's why a lot of the time with therapy, you got to go and heal that child so that you can actually mature and, and grow. And I think when the question is asked, are parents a real problem? They're a part of it. But I do agree. There are some piss poor teachers that's there for the check, that have racist attitudes, that, that are closed minded. That are. I agree. And let me say this, too. Black ones, too. I've seen someone, I've seen some teachers of all colors that are plain bullies, honestly. And if you, I always say this, unpack the backpack of that child, you cannot treat every child the same. That is, you can have your standard for the class, you can have your systems in place, but you cannot treat every child the same. For example, if he's saying that the kid that was drug dealer, you can't come at him a specific type of way because his mentality on some hood shit is completely different than Tom, Dick, and Harry that have two-parent households. So as a teacher, I got to know, okay, I got to come at this person like this. I got to come at this kid like this. Like I know, for example, there are some kids in my band that are the most respectful students, boy or girl, that you'll ever meet. But they, excuse me, their parents are some assholes. So 
Where did they learn how to be polite? Where did they learn manners when the parent didn't? You know what I'm saying? So it's like you gotta it's 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 two sides to a coin. You got some parents that are trying, and then you got some kids that may have trauma, may have father wounds, mother wounds, whatever the case may be. I know some kids real talk that are in gangs that literally say, Mr. Mitchell, I was born into this. I really don't want to do this. As soon as I get a chance, I'm gonna get out. So environment can play a part parents can play a part and definitely teachers can play a part and let's be clear if you have a student eight hours a day for five days a week if you're constantly investing and planting seeds in that kid you're going to see the you're going to see the fruits eventually and i think that's what it boils down to to answer your question at the end of the day we do have more influence now we can't control what happens outside of that school but we damn sure could control what happens in the inside. So, so and, and, oh, go, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I don't disagree with a lot of the things neither one of you have said, because one of the things that I always found interesting, I couldn't, I, I, I've had students who came to me and was like, you know, I'm on and, and had came to me and said, their teacher said, I'm, I'm really only here for the check. Like, I don't even know how you even tell a student. Like, how does that, how do you fix your mouth to even say that? Turn your mic up, bro. It's easy to say that. It's very easy for some of those people to say that because they are there to get the check. They went to college to get the check. They went through certification to get the check, which is crazy because we don't make no damn money. Go ahead, Mai. But see, that kind of feeds into what I was going to say. Like, in terms of administration or whoever the the top up down for education is should there be more put in place to be able to weed those uh uh just get check persons out because when you think about situations such as this that teacher may literally be the very last piece of hope that a, a kid has that hurt or help can be detrimental to that child's development. And my apologies, I probably missed out on some very good information. I had a call come in. I was not laughing at y'all. I was laughing at the phone call, so I apologize. But um, yeah, so, I, and I don't know what that process is like. I'm not an educator. I do understand that there are certifications um, that are in place, but as a part of the, uh, well, I just... My thought is, as a part of the, the interview process, somebody can lie up and down all day just to get a job anyway. So how do you really... Mm, well, never mind. I don't, I don't know what the answer well, the, that the is. The problem is what Quan said a while. This was months ago. These kids aren't learning, Maya, what it's really like to teach in college. You're learning pedagogy and theory in college. You're not learning actual application. You don't learn how to become a band director until you in that band room and a clarinet player comes up to you and say, my spring is gone and you are a trumpet player. That's where you learn how to be a band director. When it, when you can't just take it to the music shop and get it fixed because you don't have a budget, like Quan said. Facts. Like, at the end of the day, Maya, it is... It is very challenging to be a band director. I've said that on this show many times. I'm going to continue to say it. But let's expand it. To be an educator, it takes sacrifice. It takes commitment. It takes, you know, knowledge and know-how. 
It takes you continuously growing in the field, so going to conferences, learning the things that are cutting edge. But at the end of the day, it takes compassion. You have to care about the people that you are actually, you know, serving. Like I say all the time, being a teacher is a customer service job. If you look at your students as customers, people that your excuse me, your uh, employment is based on the success of those people, then you will put that into context. We've gotten to a point now, Maya, especially with band, where these band directors don't even go to festival anymore because they um, that is an ass assessment and they don't want to get those bad scores and stuff. The, the city I taught in, there was a lot of that going on when I was there. Why? Because they put the city of Portsmouth, the person that's in, that was doing music, they took, um, they took band out of sixth grade. They took sixth grade out of middle school. So middle school was only seventh and eighth grade. There was no band in middle school anymore. Uh, um, seventh grade band was general music. You ain't really start buzzing and stuff to your eighth grade year. So instead of setting these programs up for success, these programs are dealing with issues now where they aren't even getting kids that have a developed armature until junior senior year. Like I like that brother Derek that was on the show a couple of weeks ago. I like he's in the city of Portsmouth. I, I can only imagine how hard it is for him as a high school director knowing that none of the feeder programs are even buzzing a damn mouthpiece until eighth grade year. And then they don't let the school have a terrible band director. So then the kids aren't getting what they need and they're not getting the, the time development that goes into them. To me, that is unfair, just as unfair as what we've been talking about all night. We know that there's a problem, but we, we don't advocate in a way that makes it good for these kids. So I, I, I Maya, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard watching it. And it's uh, from both sides. I don't like seeing my friends and colleagues struggle with mental health issues and challenges of trying to do the job. But I also don't like seeing kids get blamed for everything wrong just because we got a bunch of people that think that everything should be perfect and it's not. And Rick, I, I you know, I, I do want to say this, dog. If there was ever a time that you remember me blaming the kids, dog, always get on me. Because I don't remember ever blaming the kids. I remember I was in a situation where I did blame the, the head band director. You know that situation. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I yeah, I, I I agree. I agree. So like we just gotta we gotta do better, man. We gotta want better for our people. And the only way to want better for our and do better for our people is to do the work that a lot of people don't like doing. Like you wanna save band then you're going to have to find the strategies of saving band in your city. There's not a, a one-size-fit-all answer to this conversation. Every city deals with different challenges. Every city has different cultures. There's a lot to that question. But actually doing the work to identify the problem, and that, that's what we need more of, not sitting at home saying how bad things are, because that doesn't help anything. That, that Most importantly, it doesn't help these students that we serve. It doesn't. So. Justin, what up, homie? So you got that fresh Welcome cut. Justin to the panel. <laughs> What's man, up, bro? Cool, man. Fresh off the flight from Guatemala, man. Had a crazy weekend. But, uh, yeah, man. Hey, Rick, you touched me, Doc. I ain't going to lie. I had some situations like that, but I'm going to go to the first thing before I get to the 
about the males in the um the school system, I guess, that's very much needed. A lot of people don't know. Uh, after I, I was a PR rep in Atlanta and I came back to New Orleans to become a teacher, and that was like a culture shock that I had. Like I, I got so many job offers because there's not a lot of male teachers in, in the school system. So when I got the the first the first thing they did when they said I was a bigger guy, I was statue, you know what I'm saying? They put all the problem kids in one class and made it my class. You know what I'm saying? And what was crazy was it's like I can relate to the, the kids of our city because I was literally one of them, probably at worst, you know what I'm saying? Yep. The little stuff they think they be doing that's bad. I had to like tell them like that's not bad. Let me show you what bad is, you know. So getting positive results, and I touched a lot of the kids. Like you automatically become their father. You notice when kids come to school with the same stain on their school clothes from, you know, what I'm saying all week. You notice small things. You become the 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 the, uh, the, the females father figure. You know what I'm saying? There's not a lot of father figures at home. So I think that. Males are definitely needed in school, you know what I'm saying? I, one of the reasons why I stopped teaching, of course, the business that I got in, but I knew I would, like, go to a game on a Saturday, got to fly back, got to be back on Monday morning, lesson plan is done. I didn't dedicate, I wasn't, I didn't want to not dedicate 100% to those kids' education, you know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of teachers need to get out the field if they're not, you know what I'm saying? Some people just do it for the check. But like you said, teachers don't really make no money. They're very underpaid, you know? So, yeah, but to go into uh, the part which you was talking about about your teachers. I know a lot of, I, I know a lot of teachers who who talk to kids reckless like that and just tell them things that like really can break a kid and they don't even notice. I hate when a teacher say, I got mine, y'all y'all yours. Yeah. That's the I, I, I never taught my, my kids that because I had a I had a, a, a damn shock when I was in school. I had a I had a, a student that was a YouTube that was making more than half every teacher in the school. You know what I'm saying? So like some like in, in, in today's day, there's so many other ways to make money, you know what I'm saying? The traditional go to go to school, go to college, get your degree, that ain't gonna work for every kid. You know, so you gotta understand that kids learn different, kids test different, you know what I'm saying? And kids have different backgrounds, but all kids are the same. They just they really just wanna be kids, they just lack attention in certain certain ways. So for your teacher to tell you that, Rick, that couldn't be you you couldn't have a mama, Rick. I, listen, even if you just said it, she probably would have beat your teacher up and then find out if you were lying or not afterwards. You know what I'm saying? But, but that was a different time, though, bro. We talking about the late late 80s, early 90s, right? So my mom, man, my mom was raised a certain way. That's how she raised us. You know, oh, adults, all right, you a kid. Stay in the child's place. You know what I'm saying? Like, my mom was absolute, and parent, my dad, they were absolutely that way. But I don't, I don't regret the way i was raised you know like yeah i wish i would have got a few less ass whippings growing up but at the end of the day having my dad in my life and the strong figure that he is helped me get where i am a lot of the values that i have as a man i got out of those situations that lady man she didn't break me she tried and i struggled with that for years just i ain't gonna lie to you bro like julie i think you all right bro i struggled with that for years I struggled with it all the way through high school. From fifth grade to ninth grade, I didn't make a grade higher than a C. My dad and I, man, we were cleaning out the attic at uh, my house, my parents' house about two years ago. And my dad and I, oh, we lost Justin. My dad and I were uh, cleaning out the attic. And I saved y'all because I knew one day I would want them. I saved every report card I got from first grade to now. And I went back and read some of the comments. And it was just like, it was a different time. If you want one of those people, y'all, that 
that you could just sit there, be quiet and listen to a teacher and learn that way, then they called you everything but your name. They used to, man, I, I, I never forget this, Maya. When I was in, in uh, elementary school, they tried to put me uh, in all types of different remedial classes. My, my, son, my mom was like, my son tested out a um, pre-K. I went to, to school a year early. He ain't, ain't nothing wrong with him. He just don't learn well, I, the way I do. But, but I'm gonna be honest. I think you just really had a shitty school experience, bro. Yeah, because I, I, mean, I, I, I'm just gonna keep it a buck, dog. Because I, 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 I don't remember ever having a, a black teacher until middle school. But I never received like the kind of responses that you're saying. Like, and and I wasn't the, the perfect student either. Neither was I. Go ahead. But that's but that's my point. But yeah, go ahead, Quan. But I was okay. saying, like, what you experience, Rick, unfortunately, it's it's the systemic aspect of teachers who don't look like us teaching us. Excuse me, teaching you to uh, teaching people that they have no cultural understanding of what it is. Right. Like the misdiagnosis of like labels and whatnot. Like like if we go back and look at the peer review articles that says that a lot of black boys were misdiagnosed and automatically said that they had ADHD and yeah. you know, we put on this medicine to, to make them like this and whatnot because they can't learn traditionally. Man, that, and let's, not, that's, let's not get into that, bro. The boys, but boys in general are high. Boys are boys. They're right. boys. And, and, but like I said, I, bro, I it was dare. a different time, bro. Like right. black kids aren't Man, allowed I to dare. be kids. But, we but aren't see, allowed to be kids. We got to be adults at media. Somebody say something about my son. Right. We got to be six-year-olds that sit in class with bow ties on and don't say a fucking word and just look straight forward and watch the teacher. But see, but, again, that goes, but see, but that goes back to the systemic aspect of, of the underlying aspect of racism that we have. We know for a fact, I, I read this article a few years ago, I'll pull it up again, how they were saying there are certain aspects of standardized testing to where the, the specific kids that basically overall fail, they're making beds for them in prison ahead of time like no it's fourth grade it's they build prisons it's either second or fourth grade. i remember learning about this when i was in the program they build prisons in america based on how right. many black males are right. in the fourth grade right and that's then, how we build prisons and this somebody some of these white folks actually have a fucking uh messianic or savior complex where they feel like you know we got to go into the neighborhood and save these black people from themselves no difference than real talk than some aspects of the freedmen's act after the Civil War, like you no, know, it's crazy, Quan. I know, I know a couple of situations. My connection went bad. I know a couple of situations where that actually worked. Like some white people came into like our our school in the hood, and they not adopted some kid, but like they kind of followed them through their matriculation to school, like like barber school clothes, like you know what I'm saying. Food, like oh, every pretty much assisted them. And I know a few of them that like kind of graduated to this day. Like they that actually worked. So that's not always a bad thing. It may sound messed up, but it works sometimes. But 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 that's not bad. But it all falls down to the motive. See what I'm saying? It's like right. if you got a person like Rick experience, you come in the tat down. If you come in from this experience that you're saying, you're coming to elevate. Because I don't want to be foolish and say, well, all white people bad. Nah, but. I, it's a heart thing when it when it boils down to it. If you're a true educator, I'm gonna teach you about life. Like you say, I'm gonna teach. I'm gonna help my females, my students, you know, about their hygiene. Even though I'm a male, but it's my approach for it to make it palatable. 
these young boys about real life, real man situations if they don't have a father at home. I'm going to educate you about life. And that's what I was taught at PV. PV taught me this. A teacher only could teach one content, but an educator going to teach you about life. Was Rick saying his experience? That was a bullshit ass teacher that was racist that did need to be teaching. However, those people that you talk about, those people that you talking about, it's a heart thing. And I truly believe as a teacher and educator, when you stand before God, children are one of the most God's precious things. He said in his book. And if you cause these kids to stumble at the end of the day, you're going to be held accountable for that. And so that's all I'm saying, bro, what, what it boils down to. Did you, did you ever like get back in contact with a teacher? Like awesome, I, I, I told you so type shit. No, I, I don't have that type of vengeful spirit, Justin. I never have. Anybody that know me, they know I have it. But however, this year, actually, or last year, I tried to get back in touch with the teacher that saved my life, Miss Faust. So my my freshman year, man, I had given up on school. I was like, F school. Me and my dad was like going through some issues, too. It was just like a weird time in my life. And so I, I joined this lady's class, bro. And I used to come to class, no lie. I used to keep a pair of drumsticks with me. And I would just play drumsticks on my lap or on a book like during class. I was so uninterested. So this lady called my mom and she was, and instead of calling my mom to tell on me and try to get me in trouble, she uh, asked my mom, like, what is the thing that he loves the most? Like, what will keep him engaged? And my mom was like, music. Like, he has excelled at music since he's been a part of it. So what Miss Faust did, every day, when I came into class, we had a deal. She would let me, she would put on I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. And she used to let me make up drum grooves to uh, I Believe I Can Fly. And in turn, I had to participate in class and stuff like that. That was the first A I got in math my whole life. And it was from a lady that met me where I was. Like it, I get emotional every time I tell this story, bro. She could have easily wrote me off. But this lady said, I believe in this little black boy. He has talent. He wouldn't be getting straight A's in band every year if he couldn't do something. And that lady is the reason why I got into college. That lady is the reason why I graduated from college because I it, the, the switch flipped, bro. Like literally being in that class for me, I never got anything less than a B from there. All right. Like it, it was it was a teacher that made a decision that I'm worth working hard for. I'm worth making sacrifices for. I'm worth anything other than being another dead black man in America that nobody cares about. And that's why I get lady? so frustrated, bro. Like, go ahead. I'm sorry. It was a white lady? No, Miss Faust is black, man. Miss Faust, and she's still alive, man. They said, you know, she uh, um, she's still, she's not teaching no more, but obviously, you know, that was over 20 years ago. But still, like, at the end of the day, like, she is, she Having a, a, a good teacher in your life can save somebody's life, like you said, Justin. You just said that, bro. Like, that lady saved my life. And so, all you people from Portsmouth and stuff, I'm still trying to get in touch with Miss Faust. I got her number and called her, but she don't recognize my number, so she ain't called. She ain't answered. But I, I really want to go see that lady, man. I'll drive these nine hours back to Virginia to go talk to her in person and, and hold that lady hand and tell her that you are the reason why I am who I am education she's she sparked the flame in me brother that, that brought me to where i am now and i thank the good lord for her like damn bro for her and my and my parents 
because you know God is good, man, and and God knows how to to bring you out of situations that are toxic. And I, you know, I just I'll end there, man. That's enough. Man, all right, man. Well, shit, I don't. I just want to get ahead and say I I do think that male teachers need to be in school, but also like teachers don't don't get these jobs. And I know teaching is hard nowadays, but like kids remember every little thing. You know what I'm saying? If you if you, if you let the one get away with something, now they resenting you because they can't get away with it. You know what I'm saying? So. It's a, it's a tricky job, man, but I don't know, bro. But uh, last thing before I get out, Rick, you ever found yourself meeting a kid halfway like your teacher uh, met you halfway? Bruh, I started a pep band in middle school. That'll tell you <laughs> the answer to that question. My my last two years at Waters, we had a basketball pep band, meeting the kids because they kept asking, Mr. Brown, we want to play neck. We want to do that. And my exact answer was like, all right, we'll do it, but y'all going to do it my way. So we'll play the music y'all want to play, but it's going to have good articulation. It's going to sound good. It's going to be balanced. It's going to be blended. All the things that we talk about in band is going to be this. We're just going to play a little louder and let you play the songs you want to play. And I arranged these middle school arrangements of these songs. We did Neck and we did um, another song, like the song, some of the songs that Norco was playing. So, yes, I have. I do that all the time, man. Like at PV, I did the same thing. I don't like all them rap daddies. Well, I had to, <laughs> I had to hit them because that's what they want to do. All right, man. Well, I am going, y'all. Nice show, man. Hey, Quan, I want to um, reach out to you. I want to talk to you about some night doc. That's a bad, bro. All right. Hey, um, Justin, you gonna be at TMEA next week? Uh, no, when is it? I'm not. It's next. Uh, the end of next, next week, week the thirteenth through the yeah, yeah, ninth through twelfth. Yeah, ninth. Uh, send me some. Is, is, do I have to register anything? I mean, you don't, cause we all gonna beat. I was just saying, man, I love to meet you in person, bro. I'm gonna be there. Next yeah, we week. can, we can definitely all get together and chop it up. What the date says? Nine through the twelfth, Wednesday, Wednesday through Saturday. Yeah, I probably I can make that happen. That's, that's nothing. All right, bet. Uh, send me the information on there. I, I can make it work. All right, bro. Bet. All right, gotcha. All right, appreciate you, bro. All right, man. This has been a a hell of an emotional show. Uh, this has been Rick's therapy for <laughs> No, trust me, I didn't have this session Rick, already. I'm, I, I didn't deal with these issues a long time ago. <laughs> Rick then got on the couch and, and, and sat back, man. But I mean, real talk, it, I mean, like I said, brother, I, I've never heard that story from you, dog. And I know dang near, dang near all your stories, but that one I've never heard. I mean, and I you find know, it interesting. Some because things I, you I, aren't I, proud of, dog. Like, we, I don't know anybody that's proud of the trauma that they dealt with in their life. You know, but I think that the the other side of the trauma is what's important. Yeah, I can sit here and dwell that I had racist teachers that don't care about me, but at the end of the day, those racist teachers gave me the the drive and the vision to want to be better. And that's Julian. That's the way I reason why I am. I am when it comes to being around white people. I never feel like I can get comfortable. I'm always going to strive to be the best in the room. That's just my mentality, and that's because. When, you know, I feel like there's always something that, you know, I can do better or want to be better. That's just my mentality now. So, yeah, man, I appreciate even being able to talk about it with friends, though. That's a good thing. Well, I will say that the probably the, the most worst thing that's ever been said to me was I would never be an alpha. And that was told to me by AKA, my high school science teacher. That was the worst thing to happen to you? That was the worst <laughs> thing. Damn, that was worse than that mess. I agree with her. <laughs> that, 
Shut up. That was the worst thing. <laughs> I was gonna give some props. <laughs> I'm just saying that was the worst thing that was ever told. I've never had the experience that that Rick had. So when it comes to when no, I wasn't privileged. I'm just I was far from privileged. I just I just no, I just I just came from from decent situations. I mean, no, I, for sure. I, I didn't come from the best. I mean, all the best schools, but I mean, like that was the worst thing. Like. Everybody in my high school, because I was a gent back in the day, like everybody knew that I wanted to be an alpha. She was a science teacher and she was okay. But I used to act up in her class and she and she told me straight up, like, the way you are, you will never be one of my brothers. You will never be an alpha. And I was like, okay. But I would have looked at her and said, they ain't your brothers anyway, bitch. <laughs> but, but that... That may that may be some hidden trauma. That may have been why when I got to Norfolk State, I was gung ho about being the alpha. Like, Mr. Well, that's Thornton. what I was gonna ask. Did it spark something in you? Did it trigger something? It, it, it may be. You know, I don't know. I mean, I never forgot that though. Like that was something that stuck with me for a very long time. And even when I even when I pledged, you know, and and became a brother, the first thing I thought is, boy, if I can remember that science teacher name, I'd call her right now, bro. And and. <laughs> send her pictures like yeah i know i remember what you told me uh but you know I, I i it may it may be like i was inspired to be an alpha really because of my brother and then because i i saw mr thornton and then you know mr singleton and then my assistant band director uh mr jackson um you know that that just gave me even more reason but then when she said that i was just determined to prove her wrong at that point so that may be, that may have been some trauma for me. Like it, it ain't as it ain't as deep as Rick. I'm sorry, I ain't got the the super deep one, but that that was that was the worst I had. My bad. No, I, you know, I, I mean, you know, it takes a village, <laughs> and you have to meet people where they are. But essentially, like Brownie, what you shared today, I hope that that is a take that would go viral. I know it's not because when you people talk truth. No, nobody want to hear that. Right. But Thanks. the fact that you said that it 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 sheds light and it illustrates the picture of why and you you kind of hit on on your own why you are the way that you are, why your perspective is the way it is, why you feel so strongly about your opinions, and why you're so willing to go toe to toe each and every day, each and every week with any conversation because it just paints the picture. Like we need, just like you said. We need more Kwans in the world. We need more brownies in the world. We need more loops in the world. And I think, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We need but, more Myers. We need more Myers. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a very um, selective. You was thing. wise, you was smart, and you I was important. Thank you. Thank you. That's, yeah, I appreciate that. And but you got your natural sure, out today. Like, it just really shows why you are the way that you are. And for the people who want to make you know take one side of what you have to say let's 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 add the, let's tell the whole picture let's let's show the whole picture why is he that way i got that from someone who's very important to me but why why are you that way you know what i'm saying so i appreciate you for even having the willingness to put yourself out there like that and say that that is going to go very very far because you don't know who needed to hear that it's somebody that needed to hear that yeah we unpacked your backpack <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chuck, come on and unpack your backpack. Uh, hey, what's up, guys? What's, what's, up, up, bro? what's going on, man? Um, I was, you know, I, I just want to say, man, uh, Rick, you know, uh, thank you for sharing that. You know, I know that's uh, a, uh, a tough 
part of your backpack to uh, to to unload. Um, and I just wanted to ask, you know, each of you guys, because because when you were talking about it, it made me think think of this story. Uh, but I wanted to ask each of you guys have I know you guys have, but I don't want to assume. But in our field, what are some of the, uh, you know, I don't necessarily, you know, maybe maybe racist or, or things that you have felt that have been unfair and unjust to you as a band director, as a music educator, like when we go, cause I just got done from GMEA, but you guys are going to T, you know, TMEA and, and, and all those things. So w- what are some experiences that you guys have had that have been clearly, you know, um, just, just unfair and unjust to us as, you know, uh, educators of color. Well, this is going to blow your mind. Oh, go I, ahead. Uh, go ahead. I can tell you directly straight off. Um, and, and, Rick knows this story because I didn't told it. Well, I told it to him when it happened. But um, I was up for an assistant position at my former high school, and I I got wind from a good friend of mine that said, "Oh, he took your resume. And he didn't even look at it because you went to an HBCU." Like I've he had that, rushed it to too. the side. Well, so, Houston is notorious for that too, bro. They are. And they don't give two shits either. Nope. And they don't. And the they crazy don't. part about it is the person that was in charge of music in the city of Houston was black. Like Maya said earlier. And I think um, a new C said it in the comments. Like, hey, like, just because they skin folk don't mean they can folk. Right. The biggest thing for me that I see in the field now, Chuck, and tell me if you disagree, is something that's veiled to be positive for us. And that's DI, uh, diversity inclusion, DI, mm. from a musical standpoint. Because what happens is it makes our music niche. Mm-hmm. People only perform the music of African-American composers because they feel like they have to. Right. They have no during the month of February. Or during the month of February. They have yeah. no exposure. Or they September. don't even know who William Grant Steele is. William Grant Steele is one of the most important composers of yes. the last 200 years. Dr. But, Watkins just gave a presentation at GMEA talking about him. Oh, and, really? You know, the room was full. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it, and I'm gonna make sure I send it to you so you, you guys can can look at it. And and the room was just. I mean, of course, us. We were, you know, uh, aware, but you know, a lot of other folks were like, "Wow, I had no right. idea." And it's yep. like, are you serious? You know, he was the and, first black man the first to yes. lead a, a major symphony orchestra. Yes. He was the first. Yes. To compose for and lead a major symphony orchestra. Right. I think it was like the early. You know how, you know how I found yeah. out. You know how I found out about him. What? Rick. <laughs> Rick was the one who schooled me on who he was. I started researching him after Rick told me about him. Right, and that's what we have to do. We got to pass, pass, pass that on. You know, I'm sure. But isn't my... that, but isn't that the argument, Chuck? I always make. That's mm-hmm. the reason why I make the argument about we have to expose our kids to something other than what they like and want. Right. If you give kids candy all the time, then that's all they're going to want to eat. William Grant Steele, um, mm-hmm. W.C. Handy. Yes. Even though he called himself the father of the blues, he wasn't, but mm-hmm. we're going to call him that for now. Right. <laughs> These are all African-American composers with great catalogs that don't get played because our people don't even know who they are. And then the people that do know who they are, they put them in a small hole. That's why I do the research I'm doing, Chuck. Mm-hmm. My research for my doctorate is revolving around great jazz composers who wrote for different uh, uh, idioms. Mm-hmm. So concert band, orchestra, et cetera. William right. Grant obviously is in there. Yeah. But this music gets typecast at jazz just because it was either 
written by these people that we associate with jazz, or mm -hmm. um, they have some chords in there that may be considered jazz chords. You know, mm -hmm. like we, it, it it comes off to me as so racist because it only can be used to fill a quota. Yep. And our music is not quota music. Our music is American music. American yes. music wouldn't be shit without our people. It's the only true American art form. Absolutely. Jazz and hip hop. Yep. It is what it is. From, you know, from, from America. But it, it's crazy that you say that, Rick, because, again, as an individual that, you know, has uh, recently attained my master's degree and, and, and looking for, you know, different opportunities, just to seeing what's out there. Almost every application that's there, especially in some of these PWIs, they're asking for diversity and inclusion, but it's getting to the point that you're seeing it over and over and over. And it's almost like they're just doing that just to say that. Are they really going to give you an opportunity? Are they really going to hire you to um, be in these positions? I got a lot of friends that have applied. I've applied at different areas and don't even get a whiff. You know, and, and it's crazy because we can we can even go further. I remember applying at some PWIs and you get the respectful reject rejection letter. Like, thank you for your application. We appreciate your time. And it's in a timely manner. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to keep it a buck. I applied for an HBCU in Texas and I got that polite rejection letter after they already hired somebody. Yeah. Months I mean, after. And I'm like, if this is the, one of the most unprofessional things that I've ever seen, but you see it on the other end, like they'll call, call and let you know. Uh, I've had one job call and say, hey, make sure you um, add this and add this just to make sure that my the application packet was complete and, you know, to go through the interview process. So, again, you know, you you see these diversity and inclusion statements, but, you know, sometimes it's, 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 it's disrespectful because, you know, they really don't mean that. But the or thing about it is it's, it's twofold, though, right, Chuck, for me, at yeah. least. I'll give you my own and um, yeah. my own response to that. So the first part is what you were talking about with the universities. Uh, Julian brought this up on the show a couple weeks back, and I think it's a conversation we need to revisit. A lot of these universities are just hiring alumni. If yeah. you didn't go to that school, they're mm -hmm. not interested. Nope. And they're missing out on so many great candidates and applicants because they feel like only an alumni can save their band program. Not even thinking that maybe the fact that you've had alumni is the reason why your program is struggling the way it is. Nope. That's the first thing. And then the second thing for me personally, like this is just my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. And Julie and I have talked about this also. We talk about everything. That's my best friend. So at the end of the day, I recognize how extremely lucky I am to have the experiences that I've had. Not many people have had the opportunity to march drum and bugle corps and do it at the highest level and teach it, right? And then continue to stay in that in that in that you know field, uh, the marching arts. That ha that has been a true blessing for me. You know, like it it has given me the the life that I now enjoy. Right, but I look at my experience at HBCU as just as beneficial and as and, and as as important as my experiences in drum corps. Because now on my resume, I can say, yeah, I went to an HBCU, but I've taught cadets. Mm -hmm. I've taught blue coats. I'm the caption head at Mandarins. I taught Norfolk State. I taught PV. <laughs> I was, you know, 
Like I can say that my experiences are all over the place. It's not just one thing. And that's the reason why I advocate so hard on this show for us exposing our kids to everything, not just the thing, you know, the, the show style band side, being able to apply for a job at any school in America, not just mm-hmm. the school of the style of the college that they went to. Mm-hmm. Cause the fact that the matter is, yeah, it's true. People from UT and all that, they not applying to sock and, and Yates. They not, they just aren't, but they don't have to. Why? Cause they're white and they get experiences that we don't get. Mm-hmm. So this just to pigeonhole our people into you can only do one thing yep. for the culture that puts our kids at a disadvantage. There are a lot of talented kids at Southern that could teach at any school in America. Mm-hmm. Like I tell people in drum corps all the time, you want to find good euphonium players, go to HBCUs. The mm-hmm. best euphonium players in this country go to use the HBCUs. Them kids can play up and down the horn like it's nothing. Euphonium players playing C's, D's, and E mm-hmm. flats. Like, come on, bro. They up there playing trumpet notes. And Doc Sanford was talking about it uh, the other week, talking about how some of us have not been exposed to double reads till we get into college yeah. or after that. Yeah. You know, it's 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 insane. And and we all know when you have that instrument in the ensemble, it you know, in terms of your ears, if you're not used to it, you're like, what is that? You know, but that's because we focus so much on marching man. Everything is about marching man. And when I say that, Chuck, I'm being a coon or I'm being everything in the world other than an educated person and a child of God. But here's the funny thing about this, Rick. Here's the funny thing about this, Rick, and and I'm uh, let you go ahead and and finish, Chuck. Yeah, I don't, I don't talk much on the show because I, I want to allow my my panel to be able to speak and, and get their mind off. But a lot of people don't know. I taught drum corps too. <laughs> I was the captured head too. You know what I'm saying? I marched right next to Rick as a dizzy. But the thing about it is the exposure and, and Rick is absolutely right. Like it puts you in a position to be able to be versatile. And it actually gave me a reason to want more for my people because before then I couldn't see past just marching band. I really mm-hmm. couldn't. Right. But until I got that exposure and realized, oh, shoot, they're really doing something on the other side that they're approaching it differently than what I've ever would have thought. It gave me a lot more respect. And I even called Rick my first my first year out teching because when I was teching, I was I was brand new to it because I never marched drum corps. The, the, the most I had ever done was march corps style in high school. But I'd never marched drum corps. And I called him when we were when we were at a at a show. And I said, bruh, and, and I don't even know if he remembers this. I said, bruh, the thing that bothers me is there are none of us around here. Mm-hmm. Like none of us. I'm 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 in the lots walking around before we 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 had our show. Mm-hmm. And I it 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 in almost infuriated me because it's minimal chocolate out there, dog. And 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 it gave me a reason to want to really push and want more for our people. It gave me a reason to push and want versatility for our people other than just staying inside of the little box that we're in and saying, blowing that hole is what the culture is about. And that's all we can do. That's all we're good for. Mm -hmm. Because as a person who is also within the secondary realm, unfortunately, that's the only hole that they put us in. And it makes it, and when we start looking at percentages, it ain't a bunch of black schools out there, but you're graduating black kids from universities as band directors, but ain't a bunch of jobs. 
because mm-hmm. we are we 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 put ourselves in this hole and then we try to only go for those gigs that either aren't available or they're they're positions that we got to build from the ground up where we're struggling and being mistreated and blah 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 and we're not opening ourselves to other opportunities. I thank God and and I'm going to put this out here. I thank God for having my best friend. Because if it wasn't for my best friend, and he knows since since college, since we were in undergrad, I wanted to march drum corps. I just didn't have an opportunity. But when he gave me, he he put me in a position to have the opportunity to be exposed to the art, which opened me up for a lot more positions in different situations that I've been blessed to be in. Mm-hmm. So even and 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 I'm I'm not gonna put it out there, you know directly but even right now i am a part of a school system that is one of the best best music programs in the state of to hell the country i am literally a part of that district and i wouldn't be there without the connections that i've made and the things that i've done in my in in my past so and i and i say all that to say we've got to be more versatile we've got to be able to expose ourselves it, it just is what it is. We've got to get out of this mindset that this is all we can do. Yes, it's 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 part of our culture. Yes, it is. But there's so much more that we are missing out on and so many more opportunities because we refuse to open ourselves up and refuse to be educated. And you brought it up too, Chuck. You said it, the, the lack of double reads. And somebody asked a question in the comments. Yeah. The reason why there's no double reads or any exposure to it because they're not in the high school. And they're not even teach them on college. Some of them, right? right. Exactly. Most you got people that listen. don't have the pedagogy to, to teach those things. Listen, and and, and I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this about the double read situation. I'm working at a middle school. A middle school. My sixth grade. I have two sixth grade oboes. I mean, uh, two sixth grade bassoons. Two sixth grade oboe players. We just signed. We just talked to fifth graders who just signed up. Like six kids who want to play oboe. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a seventh grade bassoon student. I have a seventh grade oboe student, and I have a no. I have two two seventh grade oboe students. I've never I had never experienced that until the position that I'm in right now. But you know why they aren't teaching them, and why kids aren't teaching them at high school? Because you can't hear them outside. You can't blow that hole. You can't overblow an oboe. Nothing will happen if you do. The lips <laughs> get too tight. You shut the vibration of the read down. Same but I'm gonna but I'm gonna tell you when and we've had that moment when you've heard it like in its glory, like the sound, you just like yeah, like the first time I had an opportunity in college and I played with a um a full um you know win and orchestra. I and I got that gig from one of my professors. He's like, Hey, come play for the weekend. And I was just like amazed. Like I just uh, it was just amazing. It, it was just amazing hearing all those sounds. And I was like, I wish I had more of an opportunity. But I asked that question because, and, 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 and I'll unpack my backpack real quick. But I had a moment early, two moments early in my career. One, and I'm going to ask you this just real quick question. What first-year band director gets invited to conduct a all-county ensemble? Doesn't happen, right? I got asked my first year to do the middle school honor band, right? And I realized it was a setup. It was a setup later because the middle school director didn't want me to get that job, right? There was a couple of middle school directors didn't want me to get that job. And when we got done, 
band director was like, oh my goodness, you did an amazing job. Like these kids sound great, you know? And, and then now she wanted to ask all these questions and do recruitment and all this stuff. So that was early, that was year one. Later, probably about three or four years in, and you guys know as the host band director, when you got a band visiting, Sometimes you take care of water, you know, for the visiting band. You make sure they have a space for the band. You make sure they have enough time. My band director always taught me um, when you have, um, you know, a band coming in, cut your show a little bit. So you allow the visiting band to perform a little bit. Maybe cut the dance routine in half or don't even do the dance routine or something. You know what I'm saying? Cut your ballad, you know, and uh, and, and allow them those kids to, to perform. And so went to that director school. Email called, never got anything back. No water for my kids. Tried to orchestrate the time. His band performed first. The home band performed first, which is, I guess, you know, taboo for all the states that I've taught in. Normally the home band goes on last. They went on first. And when they left the field, they marched off in single file line to take up as much time as possible. And we didn't have any time left. Fortunately, the security guards held off the football team and let us perform. And we had an amazing show. Fast forward a year later, I go to a conducting clinic, which are, I love going to conducting clinics. And I didn't know that it was that director's alma mater. And he was the only tuba player that was in the director's ensemble. So I get ready to give the ictus and I lock eyes with this gentleman. And he turned pale as can be. And I had a really good session. I think it was Air for Band. I was conducting Air mm. for Band, and had Classic. a really, had a really had, yeah, had a really good session. It was with, um, it wasn't Jack. It was Hunsberger. Hunsberger was the clinician there. Had oh, a really? really, yeah, had a really good session. And when we got done, man, the guy was like eating out of my hand. Oh, I didn't know you guys did that at your school and all this or whatever. I was like, I was like, save it. I was like, we don't need to have a conversation now. You know, and so again, I experienced a lot of those things early on. And, and it's crazy at some of these conducting clinics, they'll ask, what school do you went to? And the conducting clinic happened to be at UNCG. I was like, oh, I went to that school right down the street off of East Market, North Carolina a and I'm like, oh, and then you'll hear some people from some other schools with some big names. And they'll be like, and I've been in some sessions that have been really good and some that have been really bad. But the thing about it, Chuck, yeah. I don't want to cut you off, bro. No, you good, bro. And I think Quan wanted to say something too. Yeah. But um, the thing about it is this: when people that look like us making it to rooms like that, we ain't just get there because somebody gave us something. We got there because we had something to get us in that room. Mm -hmm. There is a level of excellence that scares people off, Chuck, and I think that's what some of the pushback is. Is because into be in those rooms with people like Donald Hunsberger, one of the biggest names in went ensemble, period, in this country. One of the biggest names in band directing in this country. Matter His fact, name is on the Remington warm-up book. Right. That we He's one of the biggest names. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'm playing his transcription of Festive Overture right now. Mm -hmm. When you to be in a room with a person like that, you have to have gained access. You don't just get access because you want to be there. And I think that scares some people. Yeah, we got a lot of great talent in our community, but it takes a level of work and expertise that I don't know if a lot of people are willing to put in to get into those type of spaces. So what they do, Chuck, oh, that's that white mess. Oh, well, we always got to cater to them. Yeah, you sound stupid, homie. You just can't be in that room because you haven't gained access to that room. Alfred Watkins, 
gained access to that room. Not oh, even his mouth. About it at GMA, GMA, he was in tears to yeah. see how many of us were presenting. Yeah. At this conference this past weekend, he was like, "I remember having superior bands for years, and not gaining access. Yeah. Not even being allowed. And to see this now, men and women being able to present about culture and diversity, and having their bands play. I mean, uh." Uh, uh, we had a middle school jazz band that played and they played all all the classics. And it was just so amazing just to see these kids just enjoy and, and just love it. And, and, and you're right. You know, again, do we do we take the time to um, learn and to grow and to humble ourselves as well, too? I've had some moments that didn't go so well and said, you know what? I have to be better. I told my kids the other day, I realized I record myself all the time in rehearsals for feedback. And I said, I realized in my recording, I am too glued to my score. And I was like, I apologize. I owe you better. And we have to humble ourselves. You know, if we don't know something and really work on those things. And, and, and I, I feel that my kids are appreciative of that. And, and it, it will all make us better when we're able to do that. We're all human. We all make mistakes. All right. Man, we, we unpacking a lot of backpacks today, man. This should have been... <laughs> This should have been the unpack session, man. Man, Chuck, you know I always appreciate you, brother. Um, try to get these guys out of here because it's late. It's cold oh, here. Yeah, yes, yeah. it's, it's, it's in, late in, in Dallas. I don't care how cold it is in Connecticut, though. But man, I appreciate you, bro. <laughs> man, you you know you, you family to this show, brother. So I appreciate your support, man. I appreciate and, uh, you I guys, exams. man. And I, I got comp exams to study. Mm. Look at all them scores. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I, I got to get my guys off here, man. But nah, nah, no appreciate doubt. you, no Chuck. Right, I know I'll see guys. you Monday, bro. Yeah, you know all I'll right. be there. All right, take care. Go. Hey, let me man. say this real quick. I know you got to wrap up, Julian, but I do want to say this. Go ahead. You know, I bless God uh, as well for this show because we we're not individuals that go around you know, uh, gallivanting our mm -hmm. resumes and whatnot. Like, that's not what we do. But I do bless God for, for each of y'all on this uh, this platform and, you know, Mario and Derek in their absences because I got my first DCI experience from Julian, too. And one thing about Julian and Rick, they try to put you on, but you got to, like, earn your keep. And when I looked at the systems and, like, at the end of the day, if you're closed-minded and all you want to do is blow that hole, like real talk, that, that is only one element because there are certain parts of DCI where the systems of how they operate some of their programs and band camps. I see why real talk, they don't have to be out till two, three o'clock in the morning, like some of us did. Um when you know we march at the collegiate level, when they have an itinerary and they stick to it, and then they have lesson plans for the lesson plans for the lesson plan, and they have adequate people that teach in proper pedagogy that everybody is learning from the lowest level to the highest level. And when you leave that camp, you know for a fact that they had uh, a very, they can take that back to their band programs and the band director is going to be elated to send more kids to those programs. That's what you want. And I think, you know, I don't want to get into the all-star band aspect and, and jump into that, but the reality of it is I've seen it with my own eyes and how people just grow you know, and playing music that they're fun and perfecting a craft in the show. And I've and now it is a blessing that you see more people of color diving into the DCI world, because the truth is, and I'm going to say this for Texas 
Bottom line, if as a person of color, if you have not had experience with DCI, with this UIL game, it's going to be hard for you. And that's just what it is. You can say what you want, but I'm telling you, it's going to be arduous for you to attain a job with those budgets and whatnot, because they live and die by UIL. And I've been in interviews where they literally say, what's your UIL scores, first of all? Then secondly, what they literally say is, uh, I see what college you went to. Do you know how to teach this particular style? Do you know how to teach straight leg? Do you know how to teach modify uh, bent? You know, like you need to know the lingo because we're competing with individuals from these big name schools as well as they alumni that they already know they've created a pipeline feeder program for their district for what they want to see. So again, it's not about calling out all-star bands or whatnot, but it's to teach you the real game behind the closed doors, the conversation that they're having so that you could feed your family one day. All right. Uh, and on that note, we're going to get ready to shut it down. Before we do that, though, uh, I just want to say that uh, it's open. Ladies and gentlemen, it's open. If you haven't seen it already, go check it out. We got our store. is wide open. Go pick up your Talk That Talk merch, everything that you need, T-shirts, sweaters. We got hoodies. We got mugs. We got the Weed of Black hoodies. So uh, Miss Maya and her, her amazing quote for Weed of Blacks. So go check it out. Uh, I put the link inside the chat. I'm going to actually put the link inside the chat as well. Use the code REALTALK and you can get a discount on all items. Once again, use the code REALTALK and you can get a discount on all items. Go pick up your Talk That Talk merch. And right? We got some more water coming soon to the yes. store. We got, we got lots, lots more coming. So uh, go ahead and get on the train now and go ahead and use that real talk code because I'm telling you that code ain't going to last long. Uh, so go ahead and get it in. All right. All right. Let's get ready to get out of here. Uh, Quan, any final thoughts, anything you got for the culture? Uh, Man, just keep learning and growing, bro. And you do need to focus on your mental health. But understand, again, if you're in the education field, this your calling, bro. And ride that thing out. But ride it out smart and uh, in, in a in – a, a smart way. I'll put it like that. See y'all next week. All right. Oh, dang. I'm about to smitty myself. I wasn't ready. I'm sorry, Maya. I wasn't ready. I bet. What's good, Ma? All right. Maya, <laughs> any, any final thoughts? Anything you got for the culture? I mean, I'm just, I'm thankful for the conversation. Like, the fact that we can have conversations as dynamic as we want our programs to be as dynamic as we want our culture to be. It starts with these dynamic conversations and these very intuitive and very um, transparent conversations. So I'm, I'm just happy to be here. And again, I'll see y'all next week. We'll see y'all next week. We'll, we'll do it again. Ma, are you going to TMA? I'm not. Okay. You need to. Charge my head, not to my heart. I got somewhere for you to stay if you need a place to stay for free. Yeah, real talk. You need to. You be traveling everywhere else anyway. You just be up and going. You do. Don't be phony. Camera off. <laughs> <laughs> As I try to fade to the background. <laughs> All right, Rick. Any final thoughts? Anything you got for the coach? 
Yeah, man, a couple things, man. Um, first, uh, so I do have three new artists for y'all, some of whom you might have heard, but I've been on a, a old school move all week, man. So this week I've been listening to like Blue Magic, Luther Vandross, The Stylistics, Marvin Gaye. Like I've just been on, I've been an old, a old soul this week. I don't know, man, but uh, three groups I want y'all to check out or uh, RC and the Grits. If you've never heard of RC and the Grits, the Grits is spelled G-R-I-T-Z. So RT and the RC and the Grits, really hip band. They just uh, came out with a live album not too long ago. It's dope. Uh, another band uh, called Ghost Note. Ghost Note is hip. Y'all are like them. Ghost hyphen note. And then there's a guy, man. He only has a couple of singles out, but I'm, I like his music. Check out this guy named Jason Dering. D-E-R-I-N-G. He has a track called Wildcard. Y'all go, t- go check that track out. Tell me what y'all think. Uh, but those are three bands I was listening to in the midst of some of these old school daddies this week. I don't know, man. I just was riding around driving with one finger, <laughs> listening to some of these old school hits, uh, leaning back with the gangster lean, woo-woo. So, uh, yeah. So that's the first part. Uh, I want to give some condolences. I can't remember us saying it on the show, but to the ladies at Delta Sigma Theta, man, losing your uh, founder. Uh, her funeral is actually only two minutes. It's like right up the street from my house. Uh, destroyed right up the street. So I'm General not, president. Huh? General president, not founder. Oh, yeah, my fault. President, yeah. Um, her funeral is like right up the street, so I'm going to go to support the ladies here in Connecticut, and our grand bosses is going to be here. But just a shout-out to the ladies of Delta Sigma Theta, man. That's a tough situation. You know, regardless, and uh, you know, for that to be so close, I I would be remiss if I didn't go support the ladies. Um, and just like I always say on the show, man, but more specifically, support black because you could change somebody's life. You could be the catalyst to create the next Barack Obama, you know, or the next um, uh, what's his name, the richest black man, Michael Jordan, or whoever. You know, like all these people had to have somebody in their lives that inspired them to be what they are. So just be positive to your people, man. Don't just write your people off and just love and support Black. And we will get through this together and get better together. So that's it. All right. Dope, dope. And then finally for me, um, there's a couple of things. First thing I'm going to say is please make sure that you go ahead and pick up your merch. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to stop telling you to pick up the merch. You know what I'm saying? I want you to, I want y'all to be fly. You know, even if, even if you had the job and you get that little mug that say, we the blacks go, go, go support. We the blacks. Right. All right. So go ahead and pick up your merch, man, and go ahead and hit that discount. Make sure you hit that real talk. Also, man, I got an announcement to make. I had some really good phone calls um, and some good conversations this past week. Um, and so as far as uh, secondary sessions, we're going to have a new panelist on secondary sessions. And so the interesting thing is her name is Maya. And so Maya will be a new panelist, not not my not Maya Angelou the brand, but uh, another Maya uh, who will be a panelist on the secondary sessions. And then also uh, Miss Crystal Williams. I had a great conversation with her. And she is now going to be a part of the Passion Is Network. 
so she is going to have her own little segments. And so we're in the process of setting that up for Miss Crystal Williams. So be on the lookout for all of those things happening, man. It's a lot of things happening here on the network and we're going to continue to grow. Uh, so I, and, and finally, uh, I do want to say, man, I appreciate you guys, uh, because, you know, I know this is just a vision that, that, that came about, but it wouldn't be where it is without you guys continuously supporting it and, and, and sticking with it. So, man, I appreciate all of y'all, uh, you know, I love all y'all. And then all of y'all who, who continue to check in with us every week. Y'all are awesome as well, man. All of us, all of our supporters and everything. All Maya, right. get in the car with Julie and I'll get your hotel room. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm driving down. Hotel. I don't know. Do you trust me behind the wheel? <laughs> I'm a little crazy. Just saying. All right, man. <laughs> I don't got nothing else, man. I appreciate you guys for joining us, man. If you're out in the Dallas area, try to stay warm. If you're out in Connecticut, oh, well, that's, that's a decision you made. Other than that, you're in Connecticut, you don't have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, man, I appreciate everybody checking us out. We will see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in to Talk That Talk. Find us on social media outlets and YouTube at Real Talk That Talk. Talk That Talk is a brand of the Passion Is Network. You can contact Passion Is at passionis1919 at gmail.com. If you would like to contact the panel of Talk That Talk, email us at realtalkthattalk at gmail.com.